Right, this is going to be another episode of Summoning Insight. Lots of things happening in the world, in case people haven't been keeping up to date. TSM eliminated CLG from playoff contention that they were already eliminated from themselves. That's your update. Back in another 20 years for another headline that sounds fucking mental if you last tuned in seven years ago. No, I don't, like, what's going on with the world right now? Like, this is how bad it's got for TSM. Not only are they not in the playoffs, their only goal left in the split is to deny CLG for making the playoffs. What? This is some, like, dumb and dumber level shit now, Monty. Like, it's just getting silly, isn't it? Like, guess what's spoiler? Neither org's good. They're both kind of shit right now, aren't they? I know. I, I, I mean, it was, I think it was hard to be, people will say, oh, there were a lot of upsets this happened, that, that happened this last week, which sure. is true, but that doesn't mean that what we're watching right now is good from the LCS. And while TSM have certainly done a lot better over the last few weeks, like last couple weeks, uh, I like the changes that they've made into putting Huni on more carry champions. We also saw more throws like we saw from Immortals um, last week against them, TSM you know, also did only go one and two this week, but they had a relatively tough schedule versus 100 Thieves and, and Team Liquid. Overall, though, I mean, they they end the season basically technically in ninth place because they 2 out of Immortals, but towards the end of the standings. Now, this is a team that I think most people expected would be somewhat middle of the pack, maybe challenging for like sixth, fifth, sixth place in terms of playoff seeding. They finally started to look like that team by the end, but it was uh, obviously very much too late. And the question is, is whether they make roster changes going into summer or not, which I think is really interesting because this is kind of the best, the best, uh, I would say, eventuality that I wanted for TSM, which is to get enough false hope by the end of spring that they wouldn't make roster changes for summer, which obviously I think will be necessary to actually compete for the top. So I'm hoping they just keep everything exactly the same. Exactly. I mean, look, let's be real. Winning five games is still in no context any kind of a redemption, any kind of like meaningful turnaround. I also think another thing I find so whack, dude, is like there's no universe where they're actually fucking middle surely. So to me, all you've done is you've stolen a few wins that didn't end up meaning anything, but you now either have completely abandoned that Chinese mid laner, or you're going to have to work him in the lineup again. Like, that's the part I don't get, dude. It's like, to me, I would have just... Once I knew that this split was fucked, I essentially would have just, like, used the rest of the split to figure out my roster, not try to gain the odd win and scratch and claw for everything. Like, remember, we're TSM. We're not trying to next split make six to make in the playoffs. Like, our goal is worlds or boss. Like, the rest of the split should have been about that. Whereas yeah. I don't feel in any other position dude like as much as people are going to take a lot of heart obviously in like the cloud nine the team liquid games like oh my god like i wouldn't be taking that and thinking it's just gonna like next split will be great like how are you if i actually look at the lineup they have now assuming they get a competent mid laner and the rest of the pieces stay i would guess they will be a playoff team but not a contender like i can't i don't think there's to me you're gonna have to do like i don't even think you can do triage on this team dude. i think you have to just like wholesale chop and change which is impossible but question is will you spend money you have to spend big money probably to do this right I, I think you would. And like, the question is, does anybody even want to join your team right now? Like is Jensen, nope. you know, is Jensen really going to be an option? Because if they want to keep the lineup as it, I mean, they technically do have a, an import slot available in the mid lane. Oh, that's true. Um, so they could import somebody, right. And they could try and write the ship. But I think that there is, you know, I, I don't think a lot of people will want to join this roster the way it stands right now offer an outside shot of competing especially with 
all of the drama that's come out about this team and the kind of status of the ownership, uh, you know, report on Reggie still being unknown. There is a possibility that depending on what's found, that they could go through significant ownership upheaval. Um, you know, in the if, they, if they're forced to sell or something, you mean? I mean, they could be forced to divest the team. I mean, it's possible. So Reggie's not involved or something. Bring someone else in, maybe. I mean, that's not the way it's they've done it the in the table, past. Right? That's True. not the way they've done it in the past. True. I'm just going to say yeah, it's not the way they've done it in the past. One thing I've learned about Riot is they're actually opposite to the legal world. Because as far as I can tell in the legal world, the whole reason precedents are so important is because when you establish them, you can refer back to them. The joke with Riot is it feels like every single judgment they make is almost like in isolation and has no connection to the other ones. Like, there's no bloody sliding scale for any of their punishments. Everyone knows back in the day, like the fines were the most famous one. Like what was the fucking algorithm on how they calculated those fines? It was like no rival reason whatsoever it just went from like two five ten to like you could just like murder a guy for 11 grand or something like, what the fuck like but two was like you know you spoke to a team without asking permission it's like what is this fucking skill like what are we doing here <laughs> by the way though i have to say this is why i think people have actually gone too far though because you're asking the right question the key question to me is who will actually at this point join tsm because like for example, in terms of money, they could get someone tomorrow, obviously. Obviously, there's names you've just listed off. Jizuke, Jensen, Niski. These are players you get tomorrow if you can, because they just slam dunks. They're going to be competent players. But beyond that, they also have, in theory, the entire ERLs in Europe to just find a player that they want to bring. As you said, can be an import player. The bigger issue for me is this, though, is... Everyone's going to think naively. You just do what 100 Thieves did with Abidage. Abidage was the last piece they needed. This team needs everything still. So I, first of all, I don't think it's going to be as simple to get someone to come over. And then secondly, here's the concern I would have, which is that I know that a lot of like the European players who are in the ERLs, it's not that they wouldn't join LCS. It's like, you know, like, it's going to be uncomfortable for them to like move to America and they they would be unsure about the culture and they don't know. So I, I feel like right now in the middle of a season, that might put people off. You know, in the same way, Monty, there's a phenomenon that happens in LEC now where if players in the off-season, not the middle of the season, the off-season, get the offer, but the offer's like Astralis, the 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 premise behind the scenes goes actually a lot of them if they think they could be in the best ERL team just say no and say fuck it I'll do another year in the ERL and hope that next time instead of getting like the bottom offer I get like you know Excel offers me or something you know someone who's actually going to be in the playoffs I could do something I get the vibe people are going to start doing that with NA for some of these teams too because like in this scenario let's say you do from any ERL now you're like a promising player TSM calls you up flies you out you fail that one split you have just fucked your career so hard it would be insane like think about what happened to people like I Kurt when they went to NA like dude I, I don't think it's as much like as much as people on paper think you get the call from TSM they offer you the money everyone says yes I don't think as many people will I think it's a lot more touch and go now especially because the problem I see in their team dude and this is what I think everyone's missing is they don't have anyone at the moment that's like a massive draw like a teammate right, because the only one yeah, yeah and he's so young like I don't think people really look at that and think like oh I've got to play with him like even if it wasn't Pukeson, you have to have someone who's sort of got a quality where it's like you think you can win if you play them or at least I'm playing with them. They don't have that, unfortunately. They just don't. Right. And we've talked about GMing in NA and how kind of the dominoes have to fall. And there are certain players that want to play together once those dominoes fall. And like TSM always had that advantage with Bjergsen that they had an inbuilt GMing advantage because people wanted to play with him. Uh, that obviously doesn't exist anymore. Spika is significantly better over the last few games. Um, seems to be back in some level of form after his MVP split, but I'm not sure that's going to be enough to really attract top level talent, especially when you don't know what the result of, you, you know, you, you, it's very difficult. Let me put it this way. It's very difficult to make deals when you don't know who the other party is. 
right? Because if you sign a TSM contract and there is something that comes down from Riot where they said that this investigation, either Reggie has to leave TSM or the team has to be sold to another entity. Well, then all of a sudden you've got a contract with somebody who you don't know who's on the other end of that. And I think it's very dumb to sign deals where the the other end of the contract isn't guaranteed for the length of the contract, or at least you're reasonably sure that that's what it's going to be. So until that investigation concludes, I don't think it's wise for anybody to be signing contracts with TSM. What I will say, the person I would suggest is this, is the people who actually are desperate. That's what you should actually look for. Like, I'm not joking. If I was TSM, I would be considering people like leader in Europe. Yeah. This guy needs a spot. He needs another chance on a big team. And also, by the way, I'm pretty sure his style of play would be amazing in LCS. Look at what a fucking showman he is. People would love watching this guy. He's even a trash talker, for fuck's sake. He'd even fit the whole thing of a TSM. Like, he's supposed to be toxic and me. Like, he's not really, but you know, like, that's the whole, like, baggage he carries with him. So, this is why I feel like TSM don't even know their own brand, dude. It's like, that's why, to me, the, J the Jensen deal was a slam dunk, mate. Because what you do, even when you bring him in, is like, oh, Bjergsen wants to leave. Oh, well, we'll bring in his right. You do that whole, if you did it cleverly like you know behind the scenes you reach out to steve you can do all sorts of fun things with that set up like banter sessions have some silly oh, yeah. things that are sponsor related i mean if you're smart by the way you even do what they never really did this intention in europe as far as i know it was actually like bmw set this up but i always thought in europe it was like a vaguely decent idea that those teams that had the same sponsors set up those like where united in rivalry type things where you would make content off each other if you do that the right way it's just fun for everyone involved isn't it it's a way to make the like a artificial rivalry with the real rivalry exists so like to me there's so many things you could still do with tsm you can make them a competent team the difference is you look at the clgs the abortals of the world yeah they're a tough spot they're just trying to upgrade what they have for me though like because all these mistakes seem to have come from the management on down you do have to address that problem at some point in time like i get the vibe there's going to be more people jump off the ship at, TSM at the end of this year by the way so it's not looking great in general it's not looking great at all <laughs> I mean, I, I can't imagine. Again, it's the same thing when you don't necessarily know who the owner is. It's hard to have any security as a coach when you could sign potentially another deal somewhere else. That would also ruin TSM, I've got to say, if they made Reggie sell. Like, if, if, if Reggie isn't seriously involved with TSM, then they're just another, like, corporate shell that used to be a team that, you know... It's like CLG now. No, here's the real reason no one cares about CLG. It is because Hotshot isn't involved yep. at all. It's nothing to do with them being bad at the game. If they'd have really, if he'd have sort of, like, still been around and he was, he was like, uh, coming on fucking shows... Yeah, but it's not so interested in them as a team, you know. You'd have, they'd have the team to them, at least. There's some sort of a heritage. They have nothing now. They're just a generic team, aren't they? It's just bad in LCS. Who cares? You know? I mean, I think EG and SCLG made similar bad decisions, which is when they sold to investment groups, they didn't actually hire people to basically be the mascots of the team. Like they didn't make it a condition of the CLG sale that Hotshot had to be a public figure for them and a public face and do content for the next five years, right? Like that could have been a precondition of the sale. Now, obviously you pay him for that as well, right? And EG, their biggest mistake was when they sold to this new entity, um, they didn't bring back any of the people that were legacy faces of EG, whether that was Idra or 
um, in control, you know, before he unfortunately died, uh, who I think would have been an amazing, absolutely incredible brand ambassador for evil geniuses and a face of the team. They didn't bring back any of the legacy. And what you're paying for with the EG brand is not a good logo because the logo is shit. It's not a good name because the name is shit. What you're paying for is the brand of being OG dominant in, in esports. And so you have to bring back, in my opinion, some of these people to be the face of that brand. Um, and they didn't do that. And I think both CLG and EG were huge, huge missed opportunities. I've even always thought, though, like as much as everyone in esports loves to pat themselves on the back and say how amazing they are in marketing, because people make the classic mistake of conflating some sort of material or physical or business success with like, I must have, it must have all gone according to plan. TSM's never even understood their own identity. Like they should from day one have been leaning into the idea because they win all the time and they're evil. We are the evil empire. It's the most obvious casting of all time. Like if I was them, by the way, I would have even leaned into the whole leaner angle and been like, yeah, you know, what our president does whatever they want but you can't stop her can you i'd go like that fucking approach that's how you make it seem cool you know that way if you're a fan like essentially i'll even give a mad example but it's an obvious one everyone knows this is basically one of the things that donald trump did as the president he made it so that even if you didn't necessarily agree with what he said if you were people who are on his side like a lot of people obviously were they would just ride him with whatever the angle was they were it's almost like they were just taking the orders from him like right this is the angle cool we better get in line like we're all just doing this this joke angle this out we're against this or whatever TSM never really got that. Like, but what's weird to me is I always felt like they really just thought they were just the best. They really thought for real, Monty, their brand was we win. Like, that can never be a brand. Has no one figured that out yet? Even T1 can't win all the time for fuck's sake. You gotta have more than that. And by the way, spoiler, what carried T1 when they didn't win? Fucking having faker. Yeah, guess what? You needed Bjorks, you needed double F That's what's so dumb about these people that they you, you can see their problem is this dude they could only go as far as their success takes them they never sort of figure out something that goes beyond that so that's why to me tsm also that's why i said we're only going to talk about them in these sorts of terms and not about them as a team because it's actually not interesting to talk about a bad team like they don't have much draw to them at this point in time it's more just the historical context that's still was weird and novel that they're the worst fucking team and it like it's about it yeah, I mean, and to your point earlier about what was what's going on in LEC, I mean, we already see that in LCS. I mean, I think that a lot of players, it's been hinted at by many people, and it's true uh, from my conversations behind the scenes, that, uh, you know, a lot of players on Academy teams don't want to play on bottom LCS rosters and refuse to sign those contracts. Like, you can't tell me that Tenacity couldn't have an LCS contract right now when Fake God has one. Like, please. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think it's clear that uh, that's that's not where tenacity wants to be, um, if I had to guess. And uh, that's why we're seeing a lot of these these kind of issues develop. Um, yeah, so I get it, though, because I'll give you the best example ever, Monty. This might be the greatest example I've ever seen of why you can't just... Even as a player, let yourself get thrown in the deep end without a fucking life preserver, as Americans call it. We call it, like, I can't remember what we call it in English, but the fucking circle that you hold on to. Basically, right, when, um, if people don't know, one of the reasons why Synchrov is not considered a rookie this split is because actually in, like, 2017, Monty, he played, like, eight games in the LEC on the bad origin that only people only remember for being the bad origin, right? No joke. That's how many years that kept this guy's career back, Monty. Something like five years. 
five, six years, this guy had to sit out in the RLs and he's come back now. And by the way, even now when he's come back and he's on one of the worst teams, people wouldn't know this. He's one of the best strongers in the whole league. He's really good. But because he's on like the second worst team, it looks like he's shit. So like, there's a perfect example for you. If basically fucking up five years ago, slightly and on a really bad team, that if we looked into, probably had all sorts of mitigating circumstances, like all the financial stuff around their team and the fact that Specky's mum was running it and didn't have any of the legacy players. Like if that can ruin your career and can't make you have baggage, I don't blame these guys, Monty. I actually think they're sort of right. I do. Here's the thing. I don't think it's as simple as like you can always sit out. Eventually you have to take some opportunity that's presented to you. But I'm with them. If you know the opportunity really is, like I'm probably going to lose loads of games, not be relevant. And if I get unlucky with a specific teammate being wrong, my own game, like by the way, Jungle is probably the worst example of this because you can just look like shit if your team's terrible. I mean, the joke is now Synchron looks amazing and his team's still terrible. Like if anything, this motherfucker's doing it the hard way and he is really is trying to ice skate uphill. Like, but I, I don't blame them. And I think unfortunately that's going to be uh, what's going to crush um, talent pipelines to these leagues because you can already see in the ERLs, like mate, the top ERL teams are way better than like fucking Astralis in the LEC. It's actually a joke at this point. Like the amount of talent that's at the top of the ERLs that either is going to come in next year or just doesn't want to come in at the moment like we're saying for these bad teams. It's actually kind of weird because it, like, th think about it. Nothing like that exists in like LCK. No one's like intentionally chilling in Challenger. Like, well, I don't want to go yet. No, don't put me in LCK yet. Like, that their whole league is just a talent pipeline to the top, constantly same to some degree with LPL. In LPL, it's more just a billion players that might keep you up. But in the West, in both ways, we've got our own problems, I think. Because I've also heard a similar thing, Monty, that basically there's players in the modern day where, especially from orcs like Cloud9, where you might actually get real starting time one day, or if you're lucky, maybe you can get like half a split if they have an issue with someone. Some of the people really do feel like, I'd rather just chill on the academy squad of Cloud9, hope I get some sort of gigs oh. or better experience. Why would I jump straight on to like, I mean, sad thing is I say a name now, it's going to not make sense because all the teams are upside down this year, but in past years, teams like CLG, I'll stick with CLG, these obviously aren't going to be top orgs, are they? They're not going to be relevant to the championship. Well, I think also uh, what's important to note too is that if you, it, it also depends on how the academy teams are used. So if you want good practice, right, and you want to become a better player and eventually get that big paycheck, you have to weigh like, is being on Cloud9's academy team, Cloud9 regularly promotes players to their main roster. We've seen that. They have a very effective talent pipeline. And you get guaranteed scrims because of their internal scrim system versus the C9 regular team. Now, if you are a bottom tier LCS team, no one's going to practice with you. That, that's, that's still true, a thing, guys. though. That is still real. Yeah. I mean, of course not. Like, if you have a choice, you're going to practice versus the better team. Like, it's not. And you can even argue now, dude, that even might fuck you. Like, now in the log logically, think about what I just said. If we add the both facts together, if we also now know that the best talent's at the top of the RL, I'm now even more not going to practice the Strollers. Why don't I just practice the top RL team instead? So it's actually going to get even worse for those teams Correct. that I get squeezed. Correct. Yeah. Like, like <laughs> right. good teams would rather practice <laughs> yes. the RL teams. Or, like, <laughs> Cloud9, you're going to get guaranteed scrims on Cloud9 Academy versus Cloud9, whereas, like, pretty sure TSM isn't getting guaranteed scrims against Cloud9, not as frequently, right? So in terms of actual individual development and being able to match up against the top team and top players, if you're a developing top player, probably pretty fucking good for you that you're able to scrim against Summit a bunch of times. You probably get more time learning from Summit than anybody else. You get access to Summit, so you can ask him questions, right? You get access to the coaches, that you know, the good coaches on, on, on Cloud9. So... I mean, I think it's really hard because of the system that exists to create these environments. And like, this is very different than traditional sports, by the way, because traditional sports, you don't have scrim. You're not practicing against other professional teams. 
Like that, that happens very rarely, right? You have like a training camp for a few days in the NFL, maybe with a rival team before preseason, but you're practicing on your own most of the time. And that's it's just not what happens in League of Legends. It's not what happens in any You're just not practicing with your team and it's like an inter-team scrimmage where, you know, there's like yeah. three stars on there, two on this team, and then you balance it. But that's just for people to get the workout through. Obviously, you're not practicing real. There's not fucking set players you do with that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And so it's it's a really different environment that creates a higher amount of, of inequality. Now, you could argue that teams with less depth don't get the same amount of practice against themselves, which is an important factor for depth on, on you know, professional sports teams. Uh, but it's just it's just a very, very different world uh, in esports when it comes to practice. And there are inequalities in practice because obviously top teams are going to want to practice against top teams. Um, and that hugely disadvantages uh, bottom tier teams. And it makes it very difficult for them to improve, uh, frankly. Like it's kind of it, it's a snowball effect uh, that happens. It's like once you start being bad, it's hard to get the practice against the good teams so that you can learn from your mistakes and you just end up playing fiestas and scrims against bad teams over and over and over again. Um, it's, it's challenging for sure. Uh, what else? What's interesting uh, otherwise in the world at the moment? Because obviously, I'm trying to save all the LEC topics when we have amazing right. up soon because we'll go in depth on that. We'll, Maybe we'll save... do you want to talk about some LCK stuff? Let's talk about LCS because I think Amazing has seen the LCK games. Uh, we'll oh, right. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Um, so uh, I think like we could probably save some of that stuff for him. I'll give some overview on LCK. I've got a question for you. I want to ask okay, a question yeah, sure. that could potentially be provocative, incendiary, edgy, funny. So on brand right. here's the question right right as we all know ls it's not here's the thing it's not like ls sits down and composes a statement to be inflammatory he doesn't actually it's just like a, a side skill he happens to have that just goes along with his personality i i know speaking from personal experience on that one but here's the thing right every now and then just because he has so many takes and he does have his own very unique prism on the game he's his takes some of them are obviously slightly off people's. Some of them disagree. Every now and then, he'll have a take that is really out there for me. So here's one that he has, right? So to me, this I, I, I just want to get your thoughts on this. He literally had... Um, Bjergsen was his number one mid laner. He did a rankings of LCK and LCS like a couple of weeks ago. He had Bjergsen his number one mid laner, and he had Fudge his number two mid laner in LCS. And if you haven't heard... He has said, I mean, when Fudge used to be a top laner last year, LS's famous statement was that like, he could be the best, I think, best player in the West. He thinks the same thing now from mid lane. He now thinks from Now, I will say, one con piece of context people always get wrong with LS is this. Whenever anyone makes a list, my first question is, oh, what was your criteria? Everyone else just goes, not enough of them. That'll just make it so we could maybe understand the man. Let's just try and take them in absolute context with no criteria and see how crazy they sound so i will say ls's context always includes things like if, here's the problem it's not based only on the official matches in lcs there's the problem you can see already how he ends up with really different results right so i will say he does take into account things like monty how people look when they play in solo cubes so he's trying to get more of an absolute sense of them as a raw player you know not influenced by team concept he definitely takes into account things like does he like mechanically think they look good and then the last detail and this is the most vague one now which i will say seems like the catch-all that covers a lot of the edgy takes he'll also do something like it's i would say it's like almost like semi-intangibles it's like what do they do for 
for their team. So as a result, by the way, you can see how immediately people can fucking moonwalk their way out of the Bjergsen club by going, but his experience and his understanding of the... Shot one that we can't hear. <laughs> you, can, you can argue away any bad performance in that sense, can't you? So I want to just get your take on, on the Fodge angle, because I wondered what you thought of that, because I have to say, I think I have a very different take from Ellis on this one. So where do you want on this one? What do you think of Fodge as a player? Having seen him as the top player, and now he's the mid laner, currently in Clarence. What do you think of him as a, as a player, as a mid laner? So, so here's the other thing about, I think, Ellis's take on those rankings is that he's probably taking the meta into account, in which case, like, Bjergsen and Fudge are both very effective uh, mid laners in this current meta. Um, you know, this is a pretty passive, I would say, mid meta at the current time. Uh, we see a lot more emphasis in the early game placed on how you control objectives, particularly first Herald, as well as carry top laners and these kind of hyperscaling AD carries. So I, I do think that Fudge is really fantastic and Bjergsen is also good at facilitating plays on the map and kind of playing weak side mid lane in the current meta. Uh, I will say we don't really know what Bjergsen's capable of right now because we haven't seen him. It's been a common thing on this show, but we haven't really seen him be in a position where he has to carry with Hansama and, and Whippo on the team. Now, Certainly they've lost games because Whippo can be coin flippy at times. And in high pressure situations, if you lose the gold investment because he randomly dies that you place into him in the early game, it does put the team in a really uh, struggling position. So also, I think it has to be said that the mid lane for LCS has been pretty underwhelming. Like Abadaga fell off pretty hard. He's looked a lot better in the last couple of weeks, though. Uh, but he really struggled at the start of the split. Uh, Takui, I guess, has been surprisingly good. Um, oh, that, that's like been a pleasant surprise. Uh, people were hyped on Jojo Beyond based on his lane performance, but his team fighting and, and kind of late game positioning still needs a lot of work. And He, he was third on the list for LS. He also had him super duper high up and, th and believes in his mechanics or some shit, I think. Yeah, um, I mean, he does have good mechanics and he does have good laning. So, it, you know... Yeah, he's raw as fuck. You look at him and you can tell he's, he hasn't got all the pieces to be a top player yet. Come on, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think... I think it is. I think it is tough. Um, so, uh, it, it, it you feel like you don't have a really big standout in the way that you do have Summit and Bwipo kind of a cut above the rest of the top laners right now. Um, and mid is not as impactful. I mean, even on good teams, uh, a lot of the mid lane play is really kind of supportive. Um, or reactionary, like running CC and pick comps like we see from T1. Uh, so it's 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 not, I would say, the most like deadly mid lane meta, right? And he's prioritizing more, I would say, supportive or flexible mid laners because Fudge has played a ton of different champions um, so far this season. Uh, I And yeah, I, I don't think Fudge is a problem. I think he's been playing his role with the team very well. I think it's been good. I think he's been good. Right, just because the audio's apparently lagging, we're going to try and switch in region, and I'll give my take. So, should we just put it to Europe, basically? Yep, we'll do Let's it see. right now. Let's see. Is it back? Are we back? We're back. Hey, because here's my take. I, I find this so bizarre as a take, because my whole reason I was actually cool with Fudge moving to mid lane was because he was going to have LS as his coach. I actually thought that was the part that made sense because I thought, right, this is a player that LS has been 
like quite directly involved with and clearly gets along with. They share a philosophy on the game, including these like weird pinches and where you can go in the draft and things you can do with unique champion picks and comps other people aren't running. He's willing to first time stuff, not just because he's an LS acolyte, but because he hasn't played the fucking law before. So why not first time stuff? It's even an edge that makes sense in the short term. And then this is the last detail. If you even look how he plays mid lane, he looks like a bloody top laner because half the time when things aren't going that great, he just plays like mildly conservative and then he never seems to go as harm as you can as a mid laner because in top lane that just gets you fucking killed in the longest lane in the game over and over again unless you have jungle help so my problem is this I agree with you if you look in the context of LCS, well, of course, he's one of the better players. Mid lane is arguably the worst role in the whole fucking league. And as you said, even some big names like Bjergsen and Abadagi haven't really been very good, quite frankly. But they are the best because there's just no other talent. There is no Jensen. There is no Jusuke. There aren't, there aren't other people there. Like, as you said, the Tsukui guy. Take the nameplates off. He actually might have just been the best raw mid laner. Like, I actually see now why a couple of years ago he actually had the hype before Vethio joined the RL. Everyone was at the LCS. Everyone was saying it should have been this guy, apparently, coming from, like, the French scene or whatever. So, I can see that, but the part I find whack is this. is like, we've got to get out of this LCS bubble, guys. Right? These comps work precisely why everyone gets away with the Bjergsen excuse. Because you're mid in ADC if you're on Cloud9 or Team Liquid, fucking body everyone else in the league. And would do that, by the way, if they were 1v9 in or if they had help anyway. Because they're so much better individually than the others. My problem is this, Monty. You take Cloud9 right now, drop them into LEC. You know what? Some it'll still do fine. Berserker will have a bit of a harder time because I think ADC is actually a very stacked role in Europe. Mate, Fudge would just get fucking chewed up. Like, absolutely. Half of his games, he's just an okay mid laner. Like, he's not some star player. As I said, the region just sucks. Like, think about how good mid laners are in Europe. This guy wouldn't fucking hang. I know people are going to say that's haterism, but I'm, I'm talking about eye test. Eye test alone, I don't think he can match us up, mate. I'm, I'm a bit concerned if, if Cloud9 ends up winning. Like, I don't really know which way I want to go with that because I feel like Bjergsen or Fudge is going to just be a bit underwhelming if you go to MSI, you know. I've just seen, I mean, obviously, I haven't seen the playoffs. Yes, there's going to be a lot of series to potentially level up, but like the player I've seen so far. These guys will get murdered by whoever comes to the LPL or LCK. This will be a joke. I mean, I think, with the, honestly, one of the biggest issues with Cloud9, because remember, they they didn't finish the season strong. Like, they beat Dignitas, but they got absolutely pounded by 100 Thieves, and then they lost to FlyQuest. But honestly, like, as, as exciting as the drafts were at the start of the season with LS there, they became very concerning uh, in the last few weeks with some of these losses. I can't tell if it's, I mean, I assume they wanted to win the game versus FlyQuest so that they would have a chance to end his first seed. So I, I can't really say that they didn't care about this last game of the day. Um, but it, it, I think it's concerning with how strong blue side is right now that when you literally lost to a Malphite the day before, you then go and you blind pick your solo lanes knowing that Malphite is up, and then you end up in a scenario where you're playing Trindamir into a Malphite. Like, that's that's really concerning. Um, also, it's a little odd when they, uh, they kind of first pick Zeri, which is pretty common if it's left up on the blue side, obviously, throughout the regions in the world. And then you leave it up for the second game, and you prioritize the Lee Sin. When you don't you have some dive pressure like with Trindamir post six and obviously with the LeBlanc, but it just seems like pulling the Zeri there is probably the better pick. And then you end up, if you're cloud nine, 
moving towards the Ezreal lane because so many of the kind of meta 80 carries have been selected already. Um, and we did see a lot of Ezreal in Misfortune this last week, partially due to ADC bans and partially because of a meta shift that I think we'll we'll kind of talk about a little bit later on. And also partially because there was, um, it, you know, the interesting thing about best of five series that we talked about last week with Odo Omne is that there tends to be a meta that develops in that series. So Ezreal like randomly became a, a very kind of high priority pick in, in Dom 1 versus Gen G in that LCK matchup. Um, but... It is, I think it was really odd to see this composition in this draft from Cloud9. And I don't really understand why you feel like Trindamir is such a blindable pick from from FlyQuest. Like I get the Kumos played it this season, but he hasn't been he's been pretty up and down, and certainly you would expect Summit to be the stronger. Most players, as far as I can tell, even if they play Trindamir, can't blind it because they, they, like there's just certain matchups they're not as good at. Like, because if you don't know, by the way, as a random aside, you, I have an unusual amount of inter like actual interest in this topic because on my Discord, one of my main patron guys, Monty, actually is a guy who is an NA Challenger player who is a one-trick Trindamir for years and years. So I'm able to actually, for the last two years, get all this like mad insight into like how like is Chovy playing it well, and he and basically he always says that like even to this day, most of the NA pros actually aren't very good at like exploiting the champion and like right at the edge of the ult and stuff. Like loads of them don't understand like lane concepts basically so i have to say i still don't get why in lcs that's considered such like a monster pick as far as i can tell it's just that people don't know how to play against it it's not that the people playing it are that good in that sense you know that's why my analogy would be like the old bjergs and zillion it wasn't actually a good pick even it's just that he specifically could just do shit and people just, they they were like a dog being shown a card trick like they have no idea what he was doing, did they? I had a question actually along the ADC angle, by the way, because obviously with like the patch coming up now, like it's going to be interesting to see what, what potentially happens with the ADCs, right? My question is this. When I watch the LEC playoffs, dude, here's the main thing I don't get, right? Again, I'm coming from a layman's position on what looks strong and what the eye test tells me and what wins the games. Why is everyone like hard forcing fucking Zaya as a thing? I'm not making this about LEC only, but if you notice that, Monty, like this yeah. last few weeks, it's like people do... I I wonder again, is this a scrim thing? Because it's like people just decided we're back like three years ago and this is Loki the best ADC. Because think about how strong the picks in the meta are right now. Fucking Zeri. If you can get that fucking jinx, it's always good. Fuck it. You can even go Caitlyn in certain matchups. Aphelios obviously still played. Why are people like, I was seeing it like almost every single series had two or three games of Zaya, dude. What do you think it was? Uh, I actually think it's not bad uh, for the following reasons. And this is a, what I would consider a meta development uh, okay. that's happening. Uh, kind of around the world. Uh, first off, Zaya, I think it has, it has over a 60% win rate in LCK right now. Uh, and a lot of these picks have been more recent. It's So there, there are a couple reasons I think this is happening. Uh, first off, you can kind of get away with the laning phase with Zaya because a lot of these scaling kind of AD carries exist, right? And you have to think about what Zaya's strengths are that make her more unique. Like she she offers potentially a lot of crowd control depending on how you pull your feathers back and, and you know, the ability to create uh, multiple crowd control situations. And the other thing is that when you see so many of these pick compositions coming into play, Zaya is extremely good if you can get some feathers down and force somebody to play into you. In the same way that MF is very strong with bullet time, uh, when you can 
actually force people to play into you. Um, and if you can deny a pick, one of the things that happens a lot of the time too is these pick comps are very reliant on specific cooldowns, uh, whether that's like Ari ult plus Everfrost. And if you can dodge that ability with a Zaya ult, then the pick, a lot of the pick threat goes way, 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 way right. down. Um, so I think it's it's important to remember that when you have certain long range abilities that you need to hit if you are running some of these pick compositions, that the Zaya can dodge these abilities and does have a lot of strength as a team fight goes on. So it's like if you can get some of the feathers down and you can dodge like a critical crowd control and then they play into you, then all of a sudden your feathers are down, they're playing into you, you can then pull them all back and have, you know, a huge ult basically, or I, I mean a huge uh, E. Um, and that will help you set up to win a fight. So I think part of it is, is frankly just her untargetability. By the way, bearing in mind, usually I'm pretty like I'm not a huge fan of League of Legends the game. I don't give a fuck about the law. And I think half the champions are just whack slash they are just Dota champ heroes with different fucking names, aren't they? I'll actually give credit. I actually think Zaya is one of the more cool, like aesthetic and like conceptual designs they yeah. made. Actually, I think it's a I think it's a pretty good idea. The idea of the fly out essentially the dynamic of like you have to sort of like think about is someone getting in the way of an ang of an angle coming back towards. I think that's yeah. a really cool, like unique, especially for ADC, dude. That's a pretty also, like good way to make make unique champion yeah also she has piercing um so that makes it really interesting too for large amounts of aoe uh both in lane and team fights she can control the wave really well as a result um because you have agency about when you kind of pierce through minions and when you're going to push the lane which is another thing like she provides a level of early priority um so i think it my my best guess is that it's a reaction uh to what has been happening within the overall meta and teams want this untargetability and they want this kind of zone control that Zaya offers so that you can contest objectives and dodge the initial attempt at a pick. Um, so I, I think MF is a little bit different in that she still offers the kind of AOE damage if you play into her and she's more of a lane bully. So you can kind of press advantages early on. But we've also seen after kind of not being around as much for a little bit. I mean, the year started with a lot of Ezreal Karma, and then all of a sudden this Gen G Damon game was back with a lot of Ezreal Karma for like really uh, kind of abusive uh, lane bullying. Uh, so I think it's probably just the meta shifting a little bit overall um, and people trying to find you know, a, a long enough time having gone by and people trying to find alternatives to Jinx Aphilios or like counters to Jinx Aphilios. Sometimes it just takes a while for people to remember these. We'll say though, one thing I do again, because since we're always so critical, and I know it's everyone by default's critical, obviously, and balance things and stuff. Another thing I'll give credit to is I actually have a vibe now, Monty. You remember in the going into the summer of last year in the playoffs, it was when the meta again was like really wide open, you could play a lot. I actually have a similar vibe right now. Like, I actually feel like you go look at these comps. I think the amount of champion diversity is pretty healthy right now in the pro meta. Like, you aren't doing that thing where it's like, right, you take the uh, 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 you take the Karki, then I have to take Azir. Right, you are taking Aphelios, well, then I will take the fucking Senna. And, like, it's not like that. Like, now they're actually, like, dude, you can go for quite a lot of different comps, I feel like, right now. What's your vibe? 
You can. I'm. I'm not. I. It's going to be really interesting. I think to see the T1 Gen G finals, uh, because there are there are pretty different styles between the two teams. Oh, sure. Like T1 has a really. We talked about this on previous shows, and we actually saw Fnatic run something very similar to a T1 comp in Game One of their their LEC series this last weekend. Uh, which I tweeted about as it would happen. But for those of you who were not here, basically what T1 does is that they typically have a poke champion in the lineup, and then they typically have some form of engage. Typically, this comes from Korea on Nautilus uh, at support, for example. And then they have some form of reset. And the reason why they do this is because they're so good at controlling objectives and they're so good at landing these long range skill shots and poke that when they when they set up at an objective early, they can poke you, then long range engage on you and then basically snowball the fight with a reset champ. Or what they do is they find you in a side lane alone and then engage on you from like a quarter of the map away, um, which we also saw in T1's kind of... Uh, Composition versus uh, Kwangdong Freaks from this last week. Uh, if you guys were watching that game, like you can see these long range engages coming in with like Nocturne Ult and Jinx Rocket, and then just somebody just randomly, I mean, you can think you're perfectly safe under a turret, and then you just get one shot, uh, basically. Uh, so they're, you know, it's it's really challenging, and there are champs that have these long range engages. It's why Faker's playing Kaisa, it's why Faker's playing Vex. Um, it's why he's playing Corky. It's why he's playing Ari because he can come over these walls and really surprise you and punish you really hard. And then for reset champs, they've kind of run the gamut as well. Sometimes they play Viego. Sometimes they play Aurelia. Most of the time they play Jinx. Um, that's been Gumiyushi's kind of go-to champion, uh, with, with this roster. And, uh, it allows a lot of versatility. Now, this is really execution heavy, which is why you don't see a lot of teams doing it. The comms it takes to pull off some of these like dives or some of these like side lane picks are crazy. Like you have to have three people oftentimes within range um, and then basically perfectly execute from like a screen away uh, a lot of their abilities. And it is very strong when done well. The question is whether that you know, whether T1 is going to be able to execute it against other top tier teams in the world, considering that, let's just say I was not filled with confidence by watching the Gen G Kia series this last week. So I think the big question is, is what they're doing like the ideal way to play the meta? Because there's almost a lot of the time, it, it feels like there's no counterplay. It feels like you're standing under turret or you're standing in a lane and then all of a sudden you're dead and then they take an objective and very, very difficult to do that. To deal with that um i think the way to play against it is that you have to kind of be a mind reader and know where they're going to go or anticipate where they're going to you know set a bait in a side lane for them but they may not engage if they don't see you on the map or they don't have you in vision um it's tough it's tough so the problem is if people are like because obviously it hasn't really been the better for many years now but if people have never seen poker comps like that and this is a problem I feel like people don't explain well enough on the broadcast. The problem with the port comp is always this. When it's working, yes, it looks OP as fuck because it's essentially like if people don't know. Like, I'll give you a, a classic analogy. So, in the 80s, Monty, when the United Kingdom was at war with Argentina over the Falkland Islands, the reason why it was essentially like an easy war to win is supposedly the, the, basically the battle, because obviously the Navy of England is its most famous part, right, of the military. They could, they, their ships could just fire further. So, you were just pulled up 
to the Argentinian boat and you knew their range was like, I'm going to make up a number. I'm not obviously a guy who knows what this. Let's say their range was a mile, Monty. You could you had a ship that could shoot two miles. So you just pulled up a mile out of their range and just shelled the shit out of them while they were just shooting down here, right? So essentially, that's what happens again in the support comp, right? It looks OP as fuck. But here's the part that a fan doesn't realise. Like you're saying, the execution required, though, you are walking a, a fucking tightrope the whole time. Because as people know, they ever get a flank off on you, they ever close that distance, and they fuck your champions up. Because most of those champions, you'll notice, nearly always are mega fragile. Like, if you're fucking Jace or something, everyone knows what happens to Jace when you get melee range on this motherfucker. So, like, I think people really underestimate, A, like you say, how hard it is to actually execute. Like, it ain't as simple as watch that game and go, oh, let's copy and paste this comp. You would fail it so hard. And then, B, as uh, the great thing about a, a pick comp is, it's mega OP right up until the second it starts to fall apart, and then it's shit. It's absolute <laughs> shit. Like, by the way, try being behind one of those comps and not being able to execute it. You'll just look like a moron who can't ever do anything in the game. We've seen plenty of times when people tried this. <laughs> or if you're not on objectives first. Yeah, exactly. You just look of, like an uh, idiot watching them take it, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are other strengths of T1 as well. Like, the way that they maximize gold on the map is actually insane. Like, they they just know all of the trades to make in terms of macro plays and like what to give up and then go to the other side of the map and they get twice as much back. It's fucking absurd. So there are other win conditions they have, but T1 basically just plays a punish style right now. They play a punish style, which requires you to make mistakes, by the way. It does. Like you have to, you have to be vulnerable, put yourself in a vulnerable state to be destroyed by their comps a lot of the time so if you play a game where you minimize your own vulnerability i'm not sure how much t1 would do would be my my conclusion here and that's not to say that you know it's really really difficult to do that um but yeah do we bring a mason on then <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll bring talk about LCK with him. So we'll yeah, we'll talk about LCK with him. Uh, we'll bring him basic on. We'll switch over and try and fix some of these audio issue guys. Right, we're back with Amazing as our guest. We're going to be talking about both the LEC, which is obviously Amazing's home region, but also the LCK, because obviously we had these really hype semi-finals matchups, and actually it's potentially created a unique storyline for the finals that will maybe redeem the LCK season, or maybe the same narrative will continue and T1 will complete the undefeated season, which everyone's hoping for. Right, I want to ask, oh, by the way, just at the outset, what is actually your current status, Amazing? Because I know before you were obviously doing like, you were like the, you were assistant coach in misfits then you were the content creator are you just a guy in a hat now like are you with anyone what, what, what is this? i don't know what's going on right now i'm just hiding my uh, receding hairline at this point okay. yeah <laughs> no uh current status is um no i'm i'm, I'm i've started to play again so basically oh, okay that so um maybe by summer i'll be competing again but quite you want to be in lec I'm again I, do, I don't think I have the hands for that at this point, but okay. I think, I think yeah, we, maybe. we settle for regional league at this point and then see how, how next year goes. But yeah. Do you actually, by the way, do you want to play like for your own validation? Like you still want to prove something? Do you want to play to try and like bring other people up or something? Like essentially, do you want to kind of be like a yellow star figure? You know, when he went to the RLs and he like even played a bit to bring people up to speed? I think it's more for own validation. Like, I mean, when okay. I temporarily retired, whatever it is at the time, after one of these, or like actually, I mean, I retired like three times in a row. So, um, but at the times, I always, I always felt like that I wasn't quite ready for retirement. And then the Misfits coaching gig happened, and then I had some interesting experience overall as a coach that I 
completely was driven away from it. So at this point, I'm like, well, if I if I think about my future, I just want to do something that is fun, right? That actually okay. um, kind of does something for me. And playing does it more though, more so than anything else that I've done in my life so far. And uh, content creation and 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 being a being a coach isn't something that I can see myself be at all. Quite frankly, it's just not me. What didn't you vibe with about coaching? Seems like it would be up your alley. I mean, you seem like the way you break the game down would make sense. You seem like you can communicate with players. Is there something, what was the turning off about it? Oh, man. Uh, a lot of things. I mean, it probably depends on, on the on the structure they have in place too, right? Uh, so if you're a coach that is someone that is, I mean, I know my my type of being, it's very, um, I mean, you guys like to talk about Reggie. I'm, I'm like maybe a diff, like a tuned on version of him in a way that I'm... Um, <laughs> Not I'm, a lot of people uh, describe themselves as like Reginald in the current climate, but very brave. Okay, keep going. I'll, I'll take it. I'll take, I'll take the heat. Okay. Well. okay. No, but uh, what I mean by that is I need, I need a structure in place that for me does uh, allow me to be whoever I want. And whenever I did that as a player too, I mean, I was an origin, then even in one of these, even Schalke, like they allowed me to be whoever I want to be. And that really helped me out and that really let me like just succeed, right? And then suddenly get into a different coaching structure despite, or like in a different structure despite having the prior information on all sides. And you have a mismatch in expectations, despite the knowledge being there, right? And I talked about this with uh, in, in context of LS2, right? If you hire someone and you have have like a basically an overall process in hiring, you have to know what kind of personnel you bring in, right? And as someone like me, um, who probably is more demanding than anyone else uh, in the crew, uh, you need to give that person more le- leverage or some kind of freedom um, in in every which way. And that didn't seem to be something that's really like I, w- I would say almost within the climate of the current current landscape of esports where the coaches are extensions of the teams and and the organizations they don't necessarily become um free-flying mavericks in a way where they can do whatever they want to and basically uh operate however they want to the only one in the west that i can see must see actually having that kind of freedom may actually be reapered where you give him that kind of right. freedom and he operates and that's what it is so i think a lot of teams don't operate on under that agenda and they want to have some kind of up to da- um, bottom uh, top to bottom manipulation basically going, uh, happening where they can dictate what events happening and i think that's where i myself don't like it's it's i'm not a, i'm not a corporate guy i know this at this point it sounds and like you don't want to be a cog in the machine you want it to kind of be like a director <laughs> where it's your vision you know you can kind of implement your philosophy right yeah whether it's right or wrong is, is something to be determined right but uh, having that uh, having that freedom um is something that i i personally need and i think over time i've realized this uh, quite friendly and it's too frustrating to play or like to oper- operate in teams where um i can't have that you know and i think i think maybe i should have realized that sooner maybe i should have realized it like years ago but uh, i feel exactly you know. the same way amazing i feel exactly the same way yeah but the crazy thing is he's <laughs> you and i are still going you're, you're going through the identical crisis right now <laughs> yeah but Nick, he's literally a german and he's telling you he doesn't want to be a cog in a machine and have a hierarchy i know or a crack system he wants to have one well, well the joke is he does want an autocratic system but he wants to be the autocrat he wants to be the guy <laughs> no, no. i get it you know no, no, no. <laughs> Obviously, obviously don't take that analogy too far, you know, within League of Legends context here. No, but the thing is, though, I sort of agree with you. By the way, this is something I've actually found has been a big turnoff to a lot of people in coaching, is that they come in thinking, like, well, you know, 
maybe I might not succeed if I don't do a good job. And then you find out sometimes you don't even get to implement your ideas always. And the worst part of all, and I have to say, this is a killer. I've noticed for a lot of my friends who were in coaching is at the end, you still get the blame as if you had all the power and as yep. if you made all the decisions. <laughs> and so that's the least satisfying part because if you ever end up with a team that's not very good, you kind of feel like I had my hands tied and this isn't what I wanted to do anyway, but I'm being treated as though this was like my, like I chose all this. Like I wanted all these players. I wanted them to play this way. I wanted to, you know, discipline a player that way and bench him that way. And so, yeah, it sounds like there's, a, unfortunately, I have to say in the modern day, it feels like the, the, the coach could be a scapegoat for everything else in the org at this point. Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on what talk, but I think the overall concept is simply that the coach, uh, coaching is an unforgiving role. And when I was a player, I think I disrespected the coaching role too, to a certain extent, despite me not, I mean, only once I actually advocated for a coach being kicked and that was um, the good old fanatic days. Um, but uh, it's it's more about that you need to have some kind of, you need to give them some kind of authority. Um, and then it has to be kind of like determined by both the organization and the players themselves. And it has to basically like be, be negotiated all the time. And I think that's not properly happening with the most esports orgs as I've seen it. And they either simply go for the top down hierarchy and that's it, or they let it be player run. And I think both yes. concepts are, they need, they need more negotiation. There needs to be something in the middle that actually works for both yes. parties because the coach being nothing is as bad as being uh, as a coach being everything. It just doesn't work, to my estimation. Yeah, agreed. Unless you're to me, they're co they're just complementary components. You know, the question is just how much are we going to balance it? And even that, I think, ties back into it. Depends what your coach is, doesn't it? Like, if you have a coach who really does just come from a system, yeah, you can plug him into yours. And you can tell him what to do. But if you bring in someone on, like the obvious example is like the LS is the ultimate example. It's like if you're bringing him in, why are you bringing him in just to join a coach instructor? Surely you're bringing him in because you want what he brings to the table. So you can actually have to, in some ways, you could even argue this is what Cloud Nine didn't do. You're gonna have to actually dismantle yeah. some of your existing structure to make space for that guy to be able to implement all the things he might have in mind you know yeah and that that is that is something i, I mean especially with cloud situation i mean i don't know if you guys talk, you probably talked about it a lot um but I, that that irritated me from the outset obviously i still have no idea about the intrinsic things that happened or that occurred um but when you bring in someone like ls who's quite frankly maybe i mean to my estimation still on the very extreme side in terms of the uh hypothetical that he's working with sure. um irregardless of that like his ideas have seen some some um some fruition or like they have come to fruition in some situations and if you don't allow this person to be who they are well then you're not getting everything that this person could grant you anyway right so um and maybe a half as version version is actually a no as version uh, in some situations um with other coaches who are less like, when it comes to ls it's look, either look, the amazing. whole ass or no ass you know the rules <laughs> amazing look i think i think that when it comes to ls he also is somebody like us who is not going to fit well within an existing structure and there was no way in hell that cloud nine was going to compromise the structure that works for them um you know yeah. i'm sure that I, I you know they do have flexibility but like if you look at and every time I say this, people just accuse me of being some Cloud9 apologist. I am not saying a judgment here, guys. I'm simply explaining how Cloud9 works to you. And you can choose to take this information and go to whatever conclusion you want to.
By the way, Monty, I never normally check on Twitch because I don't use Twitch at all. Like, I, I, I don't even, I never even stream if people don't know, right? But because I do have the name that people might guess might be my name on Twitch, I've just looked, and you know when you have those notifications, at the top, I was like, why would I have a notification? And I clicked it, and it says that yesterday someone has just troll gifted me a sub to Nemesis's stream. It's okay, well played, whoever that was. Well played. I don't know why you've done it or why it was yesterday because I wasn't even streaming. I'm not even on Twitch, but well played. You got me on that one. Okay. I saw that and did go. Do I have subscribe? Oh, it's a gifted one, right? Okay. Okay. Congrats on your Nemesis subscription. Yeah, they got me on that one. Got me on that one. Maybe Fair it was play. a Genji celebration subscription for you. Could have been sort of that. Yeah. <laughs> After their win. Anyway, um, no, but like I, I think, you know, Cloud9, what they do is they have a they have a system that includes like this performance psychologist that they really trust. It's it's the same shit they always do. It's like people are going to work out in the morning. Like they have a trainer yes. come to the it's cloud like a, nine a facility within the org, right? Yeah, and you work out with the team, and you have a set structure and the way you do things. And like I think that Cloud Nine actually did give LS insane freedom. Like everybody's like, well, why would you hire LS? Well, first off, guys, we've had this conversation. People are different in real life than they are on the internet. I'm not sure Jack and LS had ever actually met prior to. I'm not sure if they had because maybe of the pandemic. 2016 or when, when he was on Gravity, maybe at the time. Yeah, it would have been a long time if it was because of the pandemic, right? Um, so there was no in-person meeting that happened before this. And Cloud9 is one of the teams that lives and practices in the same place, which amplifies any kind of uh, inconsistencies, right? It has benefits as well. You have, you know a lot of camaraderie when you're around each other all the time. But if things start to go wrong, they can snowball really, really fast in that environment uh, because you're living and working in the, in the exact same place. They kind of run the OG team house system. Uh, so this is, these are the things, you know, I'm, I still don't have a full picture of what happened. I do have some idea at this point. Uh, and what I will say about it is it seemed like, Cloud9 really likes to have a structure. They really, Jack is basically the owner of Cloud9, but he's also the GM of the team and he needs to be included in things. Um, and I think that, you know, Jack's scheduling dictates a lot of what the team can do in terms of structure. And if it's going to go outside of that, then it causes problems. I know that's vague. Here's the problem. I'll <laughs> but... give you an analogy, boys and girls. You know the classic analogy where there's a saying in English, right, which is like, say you're in a bar in England and you see a bunch of hot girls come into the bar and they're all getting drinks. That, right? that doesn't see... happen in England, by the way. <laughs> you, you come from Germany, but I wouldn't worry about it. So when they come in, right, obviously you look down and then the idea is if you see one that's hot, the, the way you say it is you say, I wouldn't kick, I wouldn't kick their ass out of bed in the morning. Because the idea is like, wow, this looks so attractive. But here's the flaw that you must you make. Because in that moment, your mind's more in like the hunter-gatherer mode of like you look in, looking for a, a, a vector. In this case, obviously, it's a vector for reproduction. You look in, right? You see them. In that moment, you're just seeing like the... Oh, at the best of them they're attractive you see the qualities that look good you imagine what they might be like as a person the problem is the reality of that person could be completely different than your expectations so all i would say is this right is i see this happen a lot with young men where they think that like the most attractive or the most beautiful looking woman somehow that like elevates that person to like a 10 out of 10 it's like you haven't even met them yet they're not they're not anything out of 10 you don't know them as but all you know is their raw looks or how attractive they are what you might find is there's like a famous thing people used to have which is like you know the hottest girl in the world yeah there's some guy who's actually fucking sick of her shit 
Like, some people might be high-maintenance, believe it or not, crazy idea. Imagine that. Imagine a, a beautiful woman in a bar might be high-maintenance. She might actually have demands of you. She might have lots of suitors and, as a result, be able to make big demands. It's the same with someone like LS. You might love the idea of having that guy. Yeah. And, by the way, all the upside of, like, he's going to have wacky ideas and he's going to bring a different vision. And, all, and But you know what? There might be downsides that you can't know until you've ever worked with the person. Like, for example, in the analogy with the hot girl, maybe, yes, yeah, maybe it's great in a bar where you just start with her, but maybe she's really into secure about something maybe you have to be around her all the time or reassure her like you can't know what level of maintenance someone has and what particular idiosyncrasies they have as a person so to me the main problem with that whole topic was there's no there's no like transition phase you can't take ls and go right we're going to start you at like a limited capacity yeah you, you have to basically either just go all in with him and take everything that's part of the ls experience or you had to basically do like this and say, or oh, you're out completely. Because if people don't know, the other reason I thought this move was silly is he only did it because it was the dream job. It was every single little check mark checked for right now. Realistically, like the fact that when he was left, he was like, well, I won't coach another team. It's like, I don't really know if this ever should have been attempted then. It's a bit like when T1 was going to sign him. I was mad with how T1 handled it, but I also thought it was silly that they were just going to elevate him from, I once coached yeah. a fucking challenger team and gravity seven years ago to like, you are now fake as coach. Go and win worlds. I always thought that was crazy in itself. Like, what? Where's where's the fucking step up from this? Like, so one minute I'm like, pick Annie. Uh, always go. Oh, fake it. Yeah, we're gonna be doing this now. Like, what are you talking about? Where's the connection there? So <laughs> to me, like, I, I luckily I've I've sort of reached closure with that whole topic now because essentially what I've decided is it could it never long term could have worked. So we just essentially we just ripped the bandaid off at the beginning. So it sucks we didn't get a whole split, but I'm not that bothered anymore by it. I was really mad at the beginning, but I sort of got past it. I, I, I I'll, I'll also say like. Ellis is a very different person on his stream than he is in real life, guys. And, of like, of course that's expected. I'm not saying that Ellis... I quite like Ellis, personally. Um, but he he is really different than the persona that you see, is what I'll say. So, you know, it's yeah, I think it's hard to judge him based off of that persona uh, that he puts on for the stream versus kind of who, uh, who he is and who many of us are in our day-to-day -day lives when we're not on camera, right? Uh, many of us are very different people. Um, so... Who knows? Like it could have been a per an un an unexpected personality conflict that may have occurred, and I think that in general, both Jack and Ellis are very well-meaning people. But you know, sometimes you can have conflicts if you haven't met or worked together before. It's a bit like when Amazing had that perception of us from summoning insight. And he thought we were one way. He thought we were just cynical assholes who hate TSM and only make fun of them all the time just for no reason. And he was wrong. Do, do you there think was that a, changed? There was there was a reason. We just really didn't like TSM. That was it. Listen, it was all true. It was actually all true. No, there are certain especially here's the other thing people don't know. It's like it's also yeah, one thing you can never know until you've met people is you don't know what the dynamics like when you have a conversation yeah. with them. You know, like streaming is like a one-sided dialogue, isn't it? They're just doing yes. it. They have all the say over it. You're just sat there passively consuming it. You don't know what it's like to work with someone and get in a convo with them. Or I even find it with interviews, by the way. Sometimes in an interview, when you start talking to a player, you're like, wow, it's really different than I expected, even though I've seen a million interviews of this guy because I just wasn't the one in the dynamic at the time. All right, let's flip over then. Here's what I think we do. Talk a bit about LCK because we already set that up before the whole yeah. topic. And then we'll go to LEC after that. We'll do the whole playoff stuff. So basically, in LCK, we're basically focusing on the semifinals here. By the way, if anyone hasn't been following LCK for a few years, if you're like, why is there a semifinal? You mean the gauntlet? Get your fucking head in the game. That's been out of the game for ages now. That was years ago, you fucking idiot. So there's now a real playoff format in LCK. It's just that spoiler. Last year, it didn't matter because we were only one bloody good team, wasn't there? The other team was peanut. 
Well, then again, he's back, isn't he? So I guess <laughs> I can back. pretend he's good again. <laughs> yeah, he's back. Like every time. He, unless you properly fucking stake the body and, you know, fucking cut the head off and silver bullet. Like, apparently he's always back after these shorts. He's back again. But yeah, basically now is one of, the, one of the rare times again where the semi-finals matters. Like, if you saw this semi-final between Gen G and the other one, like, it was fucking insane. By the way, the fact that, like, if people don't know, the KDF team even making it there the round before was insane. Their match against DRX. Like, oh, it was all over the place, all these matches. So, to me, the cool thing is this. One, there's a really interesting discussion about this, the Gen G match. And then the coolest part, and I'll set it up now, is, as we've said on this show before, the one part that sort of ruined KT's unbeaten run, uh, sorry, T1 rather, is that they never played the real Gen G lineup because there was always people who were ill. So we're going to get oh, yeah. to see them play in the bloody grand final in a best of five. That actually, more keys, sort of backdoored into a really insane <laughs> narrative because you've now got two scenarios. Either... Maybe T1 does win and go undefeated, which will now mean something in the final, or they don't and they finally get some resistance. So start wherever you like on this. What are you, what are you thinking about the current state of what you've seen so far from LCK, Mason? I mean, overall, definitely in terms of the global, um, I mean, I guess like a comparison towards, especially LEC and SES, I think they're very far ahead, um, especially the top tier teams. I mean, as you said, like T1 and Gen.G as well as Damon, uh, like they're all really far ahead in terms of mechanical ability, even in the early games, what I see where, uh, despite the early 40 minutes basically being pre-planned all the time, right? We have this, uh, like the set timer with the, with the, uh, with the plates going down. You have the set timers with the TPs going up and basically being able to utilize them more what it is. They still seem to find avenues in every single way uh, to actually make plays. And I think for, especially the Gen G and, and Demon series, like, like showed that really, really well, where uh, level two gang priorities were actually still there. Um, almost callbacks to old seasons of like season four, season five, uh, especially season four, season six, I would say, where the teams operate on a, on a very, um, uh, I, I suppose, coordinated scale in the early game. And I think they have now found a way to utilize the control that they have within the first 14 minutes to actually make something happen and really like find the intrinsic kind of loopholes uh, within the organized structure uh, to actually make things happen. And I think that's fascinating to me. Like I've not been as impressed by any region in a long time as I've been with the SUK, like recently at least, I would say. Okay. Well, yeah. uh, he was a really integral part. What do you think, Monty, on this regard? Yeah, I, I think the the Dom 1 Gen G series, I mean, we can choose one to talk about let's first. Um, yeah, go on. Let's, let's get T, actually, let's get T1 out of the way first, because I think the, okay. the longer conversation is Gen G Dom 1, because it was a much closer series. Um, T1, uh, obviously, just running through the semifinal, I think it was extremely convincing versus Guangdong. They didn't really show anything, I would say, new. They continue, as we alluded to before, to play a yeah. lot of these like long-range poke, pick-off, reset comps that we've seen uh, them run in the past. Uh, we did get to see a little bit of Gumiyushi Zaya in this series, but for the most part, it's going back to Jinx for the resets. Uh, I think you can see a lot of what I was talking about earlier. If you want an example of how these kind of long-range comps work, I would say watch game three because you're going to see things like Faker, like Korea and Nautilus will just ult somebody and then Faker will shoot from off the screen with Vex and then Gumiyushi will just shoot a rocket at them and they just get, they just explode. And, you know, that's, there's like certain one shots that happen um, or you'll see the Nocturne ult come in with like, a, a Vex skill shot and then the rocket comes in and somebody explodes like Teddy explodes under the turret with the misfortune. who doesn't have any of these kind of movement abilities. So you really see the power of these, these long range pick compositions and they get a lot of the champions that they want. I mean, Zayas has been playing an overwhelming amount of Jace this season. 
um, if you try and execute some of these bans against them to stop them from doing certain things, there are enough, there's enough depth to the pool that they can pull other things out. It's like, if you start to ban all their poke champs, they'll just play Varus, as we saw last week. Uh, it, it, Varus got a few buffs. It's not ideal, but they they really, really like playing out the, the mid game and the late game in one way. And they will figure out, they'll like, you know, they'll do enough gymnastics in the draft to be able to get this over and over and over again. So they've effectively proven that it is very, very hard to ban them out uh, from running these strategies. And nobody is really giving them, I mean, honestly, like they Reason don't seem to. to prioritize like a lot of the normal a lot of the normal picks, but nobody's like giving them twisted fate either. So you have to ban out certain power picks and then they're still able to have enough flexibility to pull out all of these compositions that sort of can operate in the same way. So the win conditions often end up very clear for T1 and they're pretty consistent game to game, which allows them then to focus on execution and cross map trading because they know how to play out the comp in terms of the team fights and in terms of objective control. So I think that frees up their comms a lot of the time to figure out how to get gold. And as, as I was also alluding to earlier, one of the spectacular strengths of T1 right now is their macro is so good that they will sack objectives and then get twice as much back. It seems like every time it's like, how did they fucking get this 3000 gold lead in this game? It, it appears to be pretty even, but when F you start F to F dig F down, it's it's pretty crazy. Whenever I watch them, like it, to me, to me, what, what fascinates me about them is is as I said, like this. I mean, the trading part, but also the effortlessness which with which how they or they get the leads, right? It's not you cannot really determine like one part where like okay, this is how they always get the lead. It's more of a continuous cl uh, climb every single minute and at some point they like they suddenly accumulate a 3k goal lead and simply based on uh jungle timers very well like especially owner like the Plates. way that he's playing and 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 how, how they utilize him too it's his resets are really well timed and they utilize them those resets to basically just like um allow allow lanes to push out like you, you walk it walk him along the way you let him reset, you switch sides again, then you walk with the support, whatever his control river, control the next objective. And it seemed like everything that they do is like really, it's so pre-meditated uh, to the point that they actually know what they're going to do with the next two minutes compared to the most other teams, which are only operating with the next 20 to 30 seconds, if anything. So, I don't know, like for me, for me, T1, in terms of like the, their ability to actually dictate the map, it really reminds me of old T1, like especially the, I suppose, the 20, 2015 one, um, maybe even the 2013 one, like the comparisons are there and they they may actually be equally good in terms of their individual dominance uh, right now in the LCK. Problem I have with the world, but yeah. <laughs> is obviously at the moment, they are still in the position where they actually might be able to complete the perfect split. Like everyone's going to yep. see in the final. I personally don't think they can do it now because I imagine at least one game goes to Gen G. But... The problem I have is this, Monty. Dude, even this fucking semi has an asterisk. Like, that should have been DRX playing them there. If you watch the LCK <laughs> season, DRX is a better team. And there was some mad fuckery in game five of the KDF DRX series. If they saw, like, they, like, stole the fucking... Like, no, oh, there was all sorts of fuck shit happening in that game. Just go watch it. Like, it's not I mean, like KDF's terrible. But, but the here's DRX the... was never going to beat T1, but they at least could have given them some sort of fucking challenge. Man. I mean, but you could also have the opposite <laughs> argument, which is that Dom Juan Kia should be in the final instead of Gen G oh, because of, of course. Like, yeah, yeah. The, ex the extreme fuckery of, of game five, yeah. right? And even some of the other games in the series like 
Sure. Uh, Genji is extremely lucky to have won that series at all. And they probably should have lost it like three, one, uh, if we're being, if we're being realistic. Um, but you know, I think it's, I think a lot of the, the T1 stuff is like, they have a very telegraph style. Like, you know what they're going to do. They love to get first Herald. Their Herald percentage is first in the LCK at 71%. And they are third last in first dragon percentage, whereas Genji is first. And I think that's what sets up a really interesting final between these two teams is that the, like, Genji is a dragon priority team and T1 is a herald priority team. And so there's going to be a lot of, I think, very interesting stuff that happens in this series. And um, I think it is, I think the worst matchup for Genji is actually Damwon. Like as, as weird as that sounds, like there's a possibility, there are weaknesses here against T1 that could in theory be exploited by Genji, especially if Genji starts to go for early dragons uh, stacking and like puts a timer, like a very early, like 20 minute timer on like soul or soul point where T1 could in theory run into problems because of, of early dragon stacking. So I'm curious if T1 is going to change their priority or if they're going to continue to, to kind of play the way that they they do and, and accumulate these early gold leads and then snowball very effectively around them um, because the styles are, are super, super different um, between what teams prioritize and between the two teams in the finals. I mean, I do think that Genji needs to hide... I would like literally, literally try to adapt to the early game uh, playstyle, like of, especially of owner. When I when I saw the game five, especially like, they should have not gotten away with it. Game two, they should have not gotten away with it. Like game two, they were also down, I think three k, four k, if I remember correctly. And both of these games were simply dictated by the fact that enemy had sometimes literally through. And if you rely on that against against someone like T1, who's way better at executing, to my estimation, than Dem1 is, uh, they don't make mistakes when it comes down to the mid to late game. Um, they will not get these comeback wins. So uh, I, I would actually say that Peanut will probably, or like the, the overall uh, Gen G style will actually change towards a, I mean, probably playing more more and more on Peanut, like trying to allow him to be uh, maybe in the general carry similar to how, how uh, Damon actually played and um, actually like have that happen because that little pick in game five, for example, should have worked out and should have dominated the game and should have actually ended the game, but it didn't. So... I've thanks, got a good analogy thanks, for you. Gold bounties. Like basically, yeah, it's, it's a disgusting mechanic. Like, like just remove it, ASIM. No, I want to. I want to discuss this in a second, but I'll set it up like this, right? Years and years ago, literally, we talk like ten years ago. Now there was a fight in the UFC, and one of the things is, cause from esports, I'm totally cool with spoilers. Like I want to watch how it happened, not what the result is. Like I, it's not. Yeah. I'm fine with being spoiled. I basically had that thing where, cause the UFC was always on it. Like it used to start at three a.m. in the UK, so I would often just wake up the next day, go to a website, and watch the game. Right. And unfortunately, when I did this, right, I was going to watch the fight between Anderson Silva and Chael Sonnen, the first one that happened, right? And if people don't know, this was like a really epic fight, but it was mega unexpected because the underdog was basically winning this fight for four and a half out of five rounds. And what happened was, when I was going to the site, sadly, I saw a fucking spoiler very briefly before I clicked the video, where like I basically saw it said, Anderson Silva wins the fight, right? So you'll see where this analogy is going if you know the fight I'm talking about. So I sit down, I'm watching the fight, and right, remember, all I've gotten spoiled at this point, amazing, is the win. I don't know how he does it yet. And in this fight, like I say, for four and a half of the rounds, the guy who was supposed to lose this fight is just dominating. Like he's constantly in top position. Yeah. He's ground and pound. He's winning on the feet. He's never, ever in danger, right? So I'm watching it. And I'm actually starting to think at one point in time, like 
Was that like a was that fake news or something? Was that as had they like was that like an old fight? What are they? Is this no way this guy? And then what happened was out of nowhere, right? Anderson Silva did a triangle choke and won the fight at the end at the end of the fight, right? So the same thing happened today, Monty. I woke up. I didn't watch this game live. It was on in the morning. I woke up and I saw the result. I go and it go and it said Gen G wins in the fifth game, right? And when I was watching the fifth game, I've posted on YouTube the video from it, right? When I was watching the fucking fifth game. It's yep. the same thing. I'm watching. I'm going. This, is, this must be. They must be talking about a different game because yep. Pino. He's so far behind in this game. They can't win. Like, look. He's basically just getting like fucking his soul owned. He hasn't even had any farm for the first like four minutes. So I'm like, there's no way. And also. We all think Kanye's like the best jungler in the world. He might be the best Korean player, along with Kerry. Like, I was like, they must just win this. And the same thing, I was just watching the whole thing. Like, how are they possibly going to lose this game? Like, mate, there's two things we have to talk about in this game. One, this Nidalee pick. Because you can see how fragile this shit is right now, if it ever goes south. And then two, it's like the discussion we were having before Bounties the other week, Monty. You in the modern day, and this is going to be really, really hard for League of Legends players. If you're in the position Peanut is in, you can't play like this was three years ago, and, you, and it's any time in the game. You actually have to play differently in your decision making, depending on the bounties and the situation in the game. Like you actually have to factor yeah. that in, and, the, and no players doing it because it's a new, it's a new world in that regard. Like essentially, if people don't know in. The, it was very easy how they gave this game away. And it actually shows, like, I think people have seen this in a bunch of regions now. Because I saw Peter Donald's complaining about this. It feels like the, there isn't, the, depending on what time in the game it is, your ability to lose the game can be incredibly different to other points in the match. Like, what do you think about this topic? Because to me, it's, it's making the game a lot different from old League of Legends. I mean... I personally really don't don't like the bounty system, and as Peter Dunnick, he said he said this in comparison with like he made a scale right between one and ten. I thought his tweet was really talk- good. It was yeah, very thought, insightful, yeah. Yeah, and it was like the the way that expanded is, is is something that we've seen in the past too, right? We had some metas, for example, in season eight. I think there was a summer meta where um, you had the comeback mechanics in the in the jungle, where basically if you were like even a level down or even just a bit of XP down, you suddenly got like transported way further. The catch up XP, and, yeah. yeah through every camp. So that meant like even kind of some, uh, historical economics such as Kindred into Sejani or Olaf into Sejani didn't actually work that well because simply Sejani would just take one more camp and suddenly should be very much at your level. So you had to kind of understand, well, why would I play a one comp or like a t- like, I think he explained like a 10 was the fastest comp, whatever it is. Let's say 10 is the fastest comp. Why would I play a 10 comp if I can get away with like a 3-4 comp every single game and just play slower and be okay with it? And I think now it's partially the same though it is very much a it it feels more volatile than it has in the past like the consistency in bounties is obviously there we obviously know the gold uh, accumulation at some point we know that okay well they're the bounties they do this and whatever it is but it still doesn't feel real when you're actually playing the game because it feels so volatile so when you're playing the game and that's what i've noticed when i as i've been practicing more and more again is that you play you get ahead you get like a 7k goal lead 8k goal lead by 20 minutes and suddenly you have like one bounty like being struck, and it, the way that it's being struck compared to how effect, impactful it is, feels really off. So it, bounty is struck suddenly like a k um, further further uh, only seven uh, um, k ahead instead of eight k ahead, and it doesn't seem to doesn't seem to have the same effect as taking the national. While actually in terms of gold value, almost it's like the same in some situations, right? So. For me, that is the weirdest thing ever. Or losing a turret, like losing all five plates, is kind of the same gold value that you're always uh, almost seeing in some bounty systems. So for me, that feels really fucking weird to actually see because the game feels too volatile and it doesn't feel trackable 
to the point that you actually just have to rely on late game and be like, okay, we're just going to hope that we're going to win at some point uh, because that is a safer system. Uh, because in case we do something wrong, uh, these bounty systems will will uh, will carry us to the goal. And I think it has it has to become more consistent in a way that I mean, the the impact versus versus like what's happening on the map has to be a lot greater. Like if a bounty is hit, for example, like you literally have to have your ears be- ring or whatever it is, and the noise has to be louder or something has to happen that you get like a flash up on the screen. It's like minus two one thousand gold or whatever it is, so like plus two one thousand gold, whatever it is. And it has to be more impactful. And that's what it is. In most of the pro games, you see the same way. Like people shy away from this because they are scared and they they don't know. They simply don't know. They don't understand the impact of these bounties within the moment. And I think the best example of it was the G2 Misfits game where they threw like three, four times in a row. Yes. And they, they didn't realize at any point that they were threatened to the point that they were. They didn't know because yes. it was so hard to track. Like you just didn't know. You don't... It, it's just, it's not the same as, as it used to be where the comeback XP maybe did something, maybe some of the shutdowns that he got. The bounties make it untrackable and make the jumps way <laughs> more grave. That's what it is. It's jumps. It's not a scale. It's literally a jump from one to another. At some point, you're down in, uh, in gold where you shouldn't be uh, just because you played well earlier. Well, the game also I, just... I will say, like, as even though obviously I'm not a player, so I can't claim to know from that side, I also find them very like counterintuitive how the bounties are calculated. Like the amount of times you see a game where the mid lane is up 15 CS and he has the bounty with like a zero zero two yeah. scoreline, and then the jungler's like you know four and one and two on Olaf, and you're like, why doesn't he have a bounty? Like, you're like, I I don't even know if it's intuitive how they're calculated, dude. No, it. it I mean, when you when you're playing, like, it doesn't feel intuitive because. It doesn't seem as if it actually tracks their very game state. And one has to understand, too, there, there are multiple game states at the same time, right? It's First of all, you have the gold, then you have the, like, and at some point when you accumulate enough gold, you obviously have the item differences happening. Uh, but vice versa, you also have the scaling difference in, in the champions, right? And like yes. the level difference, whatever. So there are like four, five different scales in which, the, uh, the, or, uh, in which the game's operating on. And you literally have like one thing that is tracking one thing only, but it impacts every single other scale. So for me, that is like the wild part about I mean, I've seen I've seen gold bounties pop up because a team has Dragon Soul, even though they're one k gold ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, I it just it sucks. <laughs> like, and the thing is, is that the game itself doesn't like the problem is that League of Legends and part of what your job is as a professional player or commentator or analyst is that you need to be able to evaluate the game state because gold is worth different amounts depending on items and champions that exist in the game. And so the whole thing is that you could have an even game state with a 5,000 gold lead and in the mid game because you need that 5,000 gold in order to make the game even, and that's the purpose of selecting this composition. And to explain Peter Dunn's point, what he tweeted out was like, imagine there's a scale from one to 10 and one is like the biggest scaling composition and 10 is like the biggest early composition. He makes the point that he makes is that you usually like what you're trying to do a lot of the time is like if a team picks like a seven or an eight, so a pretty early game composition, you want to try and land at like a six, right? So that you have like a slight scaling advantage, but can kind of keep up in the early game. And that would be like the sweet yeah. spot, uh, for example. Obviously, this is a simplification, guys, but it's useful for discussing the game in its current state. And what he says is basically that he doesn't feel right now that you can even pick like eight through 10, like very early game compositions because the rubber band mechanics are so severe. It was, by the way, guys, it was always a risk 
It was always wow. a risk to take early game compositions versus scaling be. compositions because there was yeah. a there was a huge risk that if you misplay in the mid and late game that the comeback would start before gold bounty has existed. And then they introduced champion gold bounties, and now they introduce objective gold bounties. So it's like the, the the it's multiplying like the level of comeback potential. And sure, there were things that we can talk about Don Juan doing wrong in that in that game. Of course, yeah. Should they have? punished peanut as hard when there are already comeback mechanics in the jungle and he's playing hecarim and it's going to be relevant because he has an e and an ult later on anyway should they have started dragon like dragon stacking earlier probably probably they should have done that yeah. uh i would say that they also fucked up a bunch of team fights against chorvi etc they they fucked up a bunch of team fights they overpressed their advantage uh they gave a thousand gold shutdown over to ruler zaya which was a huge misplay on an individual level by canyon um, there were problems, but like Canyon shouldn't have to dom like absolutely dominate this game and Agreed. die once and then they're back in it. Like that's unacceptable. Like what how good of a performance does this guy have to have uh in order for that you know, it, it, like he, he can't make zero mistakes in a game. That's like humanly if impossible. This was, if this was like seven years ago, the beginning of the game starts like that. Spoiler, it just keeps going like that. And he is in the nightmare simulator, Peanut, and the game ends. And he's had the most humiliating beatdown ever in a game fight. Like, there's no comeback from that like seven years ago. Like, it's over. Like, in fact, the people might remember, remember the classic MSI Fnatic series where everyone remembers, oh, I remember Feverville was killing. Everyone forgets, like, game five was the one where they, like, fucking triple buffed, like, Cyanide or whatever, and just left him in, like, oh, rain over, rather. And they would, and with Nunu, and they just couldn't play the game. And T1 just yeah. shit stomped them. Like, that was going to happen in this game except for these mechanics yeah because the reason i bring it up right is it this might sound like a weird point because it's abstract but players can't take account of information that isn't tied to the game experience this happens right now in my native oh, yeah. game of That's csgo in CSGO, right, we have a problem with the economy currently where basically it's not enough that the counter-terrorist wins the round. His guns are more expensive. He also has to stay alive and win the round. But no one plays that way because your entire life playing Counter-Strike tells you it's just the round, isn't it? The round's the score. So as long as we win the round, we win the round, right? That's good. But it isn't always as good as it needs to be. And basically, I think the same thing's going to happen in League. You can't, like a player, I'm sorry, especially the fucking jungler, he can't be totally cognizant of all times as well as the map, what the lane states are, what the current yeah. macros situation he kept timers on herald and drive. he can't also be going and of course i might have a shot down on me and then they have a bounty like oh, he's a, he can't be doing the fucking numbers me of like the numbers mason the numbers like he's just a fucking human playing a video game like it's all well and good going you know players should adapt like this is too much i think i don't think a player can keep that information because as i say it's kind of like it's not directly connected to your game experience nothing you're like pretty sweet it's not like your champion feels stronger in the game so intuitively you know wow i must have like a shutdown if i get killed Though there's, I, I don't think I think I, I I think basically this will just affect games like this. But I don't think a player can really. I don't think you can counterplay it in a way. I don't think I, I know it's possible, but I think I think I don't think I don't think it's reasonable to expect even but, pros to think this way. But you, and it's not, especially because like sure, in retrospect, we can say, well, you know, they probably should have started the dragon stacking earlier. Like they probably really yes. should have with their poke composition. Uh, focused on this objective and not pursued Peanut so much because there is catch-up XP in the jungle that Peanut can earn. It's like, you can only suppress him for so long is is yeah. the reality of it. Like, after that first clear, I think you got to find something better for Canyon to do with his time and start stacking those objectives. However, in the moment of the game, 
it feels so right. Like when I'm watching it, I'm like, holy shit, you know, this is going well. Dude, think about how many games you've played against a fucking Hecarim comp and you're thinking, dude, if we can keep this guy down early, it's over. But like you're, every other game's telling you play this way. You're, you're winning. You, you can't win against I, you. I mean, I, it's like they weren't making bad decisions. No, no. You know, in terms of snowballing, they were making extremely good decisions. So let's just put this out there. Like, let's put everything in context. Okay. You have the Ziggs in the bot lane. You've got to push onto the Orn with the Renekton in the top lane. You have freedom to invade both sides of the jungle. Canyon can basically do whatever he wants, go whatever, wherever he pleases. They even get a kill on Chovy in the mid lane. So Showmaker starts to get up, right? Now, if you're going to be in this situation, they're trying to expand their gold lead very quickly. So they're prioritizing. It's not that they weren't doing nothing, guys. It's that they were prioritizing killing turrets. They got all the plates in the game. They have a Ziggs with a satchel charge. So what they were doing is they were moving the Ziggs from lane to lane to go ahead and bust down all these turrets. They get the Heralds. Now, crucially, one thing that you'll notice they don't do is put the, the Herald in the bot lane because they don't want to accidentally take the inhibitor when there's only one turret left in the bot lane. Then they move top, put the Herald in the top lane, take that turret and then it crashes into the inhibitor turret so they're very systematically moving the zigs around the map and taking every single little bit of gold trying to get all that gold from the tier two turrets in the side lanes trying to get all the plate damage they're using the zigs very well now what is the cost of this right because you have to have the Ziggs and the Jace and the Nidalee in the same lane because they're trying to poke people off the turrets and take these objectives what ends up happening is that you get a lot of farm under ruler as a result, he is up by like 100 CS uh, by the time that he starts to like come online and get super powerful. He's got three items, uh, you know, by the end of this, by the end of this sequence. And that allows the door to be open, especially when he gets like, like thousand gold shut down onto the Nidalee and they're able to start coming back. But it's not like Dom Juan was doing a bad job of snowballing like they weren't. No. Um, but it's only in retrospect that we could say that because I don't think people in the game would have called their decision-making bad. It was no, using no. Zig's ch satchel charge in the lead that they had to snowball, get a fuck ton of gold from the map. And they weren't even doing dumb shit like taking inhibitors. They weren't even like, they were thinking about that and saying, we're not going to take this inhibitor. We're not going to drop the Herald here. We're going to use it somewhere else. It was a really beautiful game to watch, honestly. And it so was, yeah. like, the fact that we have to nitpick this and say that, holy shit, it was actually possible to come back in this game. Like it, there, there is a fundamental problem with the game mechanics if it is possible to come back without a titanic error. And Damwon did not make a titanic error in this game. It, you yeah, know, here's the analogy, because I know fans are thinking like, yeah, but it's not that one thing that got... No, but that one thing made the game almost even. And then the following mistakes lost the game. This is like if in football, you're up 4-0 at half time, but in the second half, each goal's worth four goals. So you score one time. It's like, <laughs> like what, the, well, what the fuck was I playing for in the first half? Like, you know, that's just stupid at that point. That's what it feels like right now is basically the analogy if people don't get it. Yeah, and look, there were there were problems with Dom One. Like they were missing a lot of skill shots. They weren't landing the Nidalee Spears. They weren't landing the shot blast from Jace. They weren't landing Come on, the Zig. Was definitely missing a fucking everything one of you. Know? Yeah. So like, had they been able to hit their poke, that could have changed the outcome of the game as well. But again, we're talking about a beautiful macro sequence that resulted in a ten thousand gold lead that should be rewarded more than it was in, within this Great. game. Yeah. yeah. No, that that's what it is, and. It... As you, as you pointed out, it's it's simply that you basically have to calculate how far you want to snowball instead of like just do I want to like we have to snowball like that should be the equation should be do we have to snowball yes our comp requires that but at this point you have to keep track of like the the two things right it's a jungle XP like if you two levels down you suddenly get the jungle XP come come back and you have to come back XP um, 
And the same way as the inhibitor, like too, in the bounty system too, like the inhibitor system is also really broken if we think about it. Why would one be punished if one takes an inhib too early? Like that is actually a punishment that, and that shouldn't be the case. You literally have to send one guy to that lane that you take an inhib on and hope that he gets the XP of the, of the dying minions because the jungle XP actually doesn't, because again, of the fact that junglers as well as laners get different amount of XPs in the enemy jungle and you set the enemy jungle far behind, you literally by snowball in the enemy jungle and taking the jungle camps, you put your own team in jeopardy of, of giving free jungle XP out again. And the inip, inip, um, uh, the inip minions that are now crashing the uh, crashing in your, into your nexus. So it's like, why would one implement this and continuously try to kill off the early game potential uh, without, like, what is the design behind it? And that's what I'm trying to figure out. Like, I have not had an answer to it because to me, uh, the early game items do feel a bit strong. I think that's probably it. But it also should just be, then you just have to know if the items or have to nerf how XP works in the early game. I mean, something has to happen, something has to change. It cannot be the way that it is now where you get punished for being too good, like in, in a lot of ways. You're being punished for being too good initially. If you make one mistake, that is worse than being too good earlier. Yeah. Also doesn't fit with, like, here's one of my problems I've always had, is I don't believe, like, the game dev doesn't have to explain themselves, but if you do attempt to explain yourself, I will listen to the reasons and in good faith apply it, and if I find you full of shit, then I'll call you out on it, so here's the problem I have, right, here's the problem, Monty, why why can we never have nice things in League of Legends? Because the game has to look like the solo queue experience, Monty. <laughs> in solo queue, every fucking low, ELO ADC is taking that inhib if it is available, <laughs> every single time, because in his brain, he doesn't even understand the macaroni is lol elo he just thinks it's better i've got like took his haha i took his inhib right you're now doing pro games where as we're talking it is now incorrect to take inhibitors at certain points in time so how does that fit with your whole thing that's going to look like casual play it's nothing like casual play this is by the way just <laughs> as bad as the old lane right? swaps it's just as bad as lane swaps that you all wanted out of the game like that'll never make sense to a casual either even though i was very powerful for pro player I mean, it's crazy that Ruler could get up by that much CS while not even having the inhib down, right? And imagine how much yes. worse it would have been had the inhibitor be down in, in that circumstance. Now, again, part of it is going to be Yumi is a gross, disgusting scaling that champion. Helps. That certainly helps. Certainly... You do notice, by the way, two of the biggest comebacks <laughs> yes. of the season, Monty. The Misfits Yumi, one you'll as notice, well. You'll, <laughs> notice, you'll notice it did have a little steroid accelerator pad on that fucking blue shell, didn't it? Exactly. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's it's also, I think, the composition, like, it's really hard for the Leona or Renekton to actually not just get completely owned by y Yumi Zaya. Like, we saw a lot of the, the picks coming off onto the Killian's uh, Leona in the last game because they just kind of stand there and they didn't, they didn't really have super good engage. So if the poke isn't landing, the tanks just kind of have to stand there and get poked themselves over time. Or get CC'd and then kind of focused down by the the composition that we saw from from Gen G. So you know they had to catch the game and like it, it they did do it extremely well. If you look at it, like it, especially actually collecting resources on the map in a very difficult situation, Ruler was extraordinary this game. Like it's not possible without Ruler getting all that farm, and he did it really really well in a tough situation. Um, but you know I I think it is disappointing to see games like this because. After watching this, who the fuck is going to play an early game composition ever again? Yeah. Like, I I'm scared off of this forever after watching that game if I'm a professional team. At, at this level of stakes in an LCK semifinal with this level of dominance and, frankly, like, not that many mistakes and you still get your ass handed to you, like, it's the, the value just isn't there. The value is not there. 
By the way, one thing I did think this series showed, though, so we'll tie it in if you want. We can talk about the final, and then after that, we'll go to LEC. Basically, one th another thing, because right now, anyone who saw LEC playoffs knows that, like, spoiler, thus far at least, Caps actually hasn't shown up as the old Caps that everyone's still praying comes back. He's just a different player at the moment, and is like, I would just say, like, the carry threat is just drastically reduced. He's not like a monster player he once upon. He's just a good mid laner now, right? Dude, Showmaker's given me the same fucking vibe in LCK this split. Yes, his teammates are worse. Yes, the meta is different. This guy was being... Remember, before they lost that final, people were putting him next to Faker, rookie, like the greatest players of all time. They were asking how many more worlds does he have to win to before Showmaker can be the GOAT. So this is one of the things I always say about these players. People will always make this mistake. When they compare a legendary player who's had his whole career to a player who was in his prime now, they always make the mistake of not getting. Well, at the end, your career has like a bell curve. You know, you're, you're, better, you're, you're at the beginning, you're at your peak, and everyone... Everyone almost ends lower down. That's why you retire. So the problem people have is when you're in the middle at the peak, Caps, Showmaker, you think it never ends. You think he'll always be that good. Or you think even if he gets worse, he'll be the second best. He'll be 9 out of 10 instead of 10 out of 10. What this shows is these are just humans. Like, it's very rare you're going to get players like Rookie and Uzi Eye and like all that many years. Like, even other great players are going to have a year or two where they're really good and then they're going to have a split that's down or a split that's a slump or they don't have the right team because, like, showmaker right now, nobody would think this guy was the best in the world after that series. It's over. Or, or the split. For now. For now. <laughs> you know? So I have the same okay. vibe with him. Like, this guy was on top of the world, but far from it right now. Far uh, from it. Look, I think that I think that Dom one's actually in a, in a kind of rough spot. Uh, because they you got to chop a bunch of these players, dude. No, 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 no. I think you just need to get Nuggery back, frankly, because they ended up in a top carry meta where it was very difficult for them to play through the top lane. I mean, you see that in this series. They replace they replace Birdall with Hoya. Hoya hasn't played a stage match since January. <laughs> you know, like he's been gone for a long time, and they put him in in game three of a semifinal match, and yeah. Comes in, actually does a lot of good work on the on the Camille, right? Yep. Um, I, it's not that he played well; he did kind of he got caught out on the Camille a few times. Like he made mistakes that were costly uh, in terms of split pushing, but his individual power, especially in the laning phase, they were trying. You can see that their game plan was suddenly switched to trying to accelerate through the top lane, which is the way that a lot of good teams are playing right now. But you have to have the player to do that. Um, and it's been tough for them. And I think that, you know, I'm not, I think Gen G also has issues in the top lane. <laughs> like, uh, everyone does. Yeah. I mean, Zayas is good. Uh, Keen was, Keen's pretty good, but Keen is not on the greatest roster right now. Um, but it's, it's kind of a weaker top lane split overall. Rascal's, Rascal had a very good season, but he's on a garbage team. Uh, so we can't have like a lot of the good players on uh, good top laners on the top rosters. And I think that if there is a glaring flaw in this series, maybe Hoya can become that guy in time. Right. But he's still not playing the, he doesn't play with his lead super well compared to a lot of other top laners. Um, and how can you expect him to do that in a high pressure situation where he's just thrown into game three? Like it's not really fair to him either. And I also don't even necessarily believe that Birdall was a huge issue um, in the Malphite game that ostensibly got him benched because the Malphite wasn't really <laughs> good into the Gen G Cup. It was good in lane versus Jace, 
but it's you know they picked it really early and then genji countered with a kaisa pick and it's like then malphite had to build like he built chem tank merc treads and then went force of nature which like that just fucking feels bad on malphite like that that's that feels bad um and so I think they they kind of overplayed the Malphite in the draft into a composition that still had flexibility in order to get around it. And then Damwon also set themselves up in a lot of bad positions and re-engaged fights when Malphite didn't have ultimate. Uh, and it was pretty easy, I think, for Genji to play a kite game against them, and they had enough upfront CC to stop the Malphite. So this is all to say that I don't really think that was Birdall's fault. I think it was like a team and draft fault like they played it badly as a Birdall team isn't here's the problem though monty bird this is i made the video about this recently Birdall can't be just okay though who is he replacing fucking nagorian khan two of the greatest players yeah. ever to play the position <laughs> in the history of the it's game it's not good and, right and this team's entire identity the whole time they've been down one is we are the top side of the map our whole fucking shit is the mid laner and jungle of the shit and hopefully the top lane is really good so you bring in Birdall, a guy who just entered his face off on gen g at fucking worlds Brilliant, yeah. This guy almost let European teams get out the fucking group. That's that's what he was all about. So, oh my God. and also you say that once they just have to introduce one of the best top players of all time. Like, oh, is that all? Like, fucking hell. Like, we can fix a lot of teams. I like, mean, I, I mean, the shopping list and that money. I'll go fix half the teams in the world. But my point is, my point is, is like this team really wanted to play through carry top in this series. That's why Hoya went yeah. in, right? Uh, because that's the meta. And like, we can we can chain this later on into. What did Odo Omni say on this show last week? Well, no teams in Europe are really playing through the top lane and top lane carries. What happened this last week in LEC playoffs? Well, a lot more teams were playing through the top lane, including Rogue, uh, and playing top lane carries, much more so than we saw during the regular split. That has yep. been a, a big change in Europe that was certainly, you know, part of uh, part of the the shift that we saw as they changed patches, but also as they had time to kind of digest the other regions. So clearly... Don Juan said, us playing, you know, the Malphite top lane or playing weak side top or playing just kind of counterpicking the top lane. Let's let's put it that way. But maybe not having the ideal pick. That's not how we want to play. We want to play for a kind of split push composition with Camille. We want to play through the top lane. We want to have the Renekton famous, you know, combo with Nidalee so that we can accelerate this early game so that Canyon can have pressure and can invade and we can get these leads. It was a clear game plan. And, like, I don't think you can fault the game plan that Dom Juan had, but it would have been objectively better with Noguri, right? And Noguri took a break. I fully anticipate Noguri to come back for summer on this Dom Juan roster because I think he was, from what I understand, he was close to signing anyway uh, and coming back to Dom Juan before he decided that he needed a little bit of a break. But it if sounded like he had some, like, mental health thing going on. It didn't sound like it was not wanting to play. Yeah. But if you're Noguri and you're watching this series... You can't, if you're a real competitor, you can't help but want to come back. You're like, oh my God, these guys were one game away from the finals. I get to play carries in this meta as long as this meta persists, uh, which it should because of TP changes, frankly. Like, I, I think we yeah. can continue to see this because unless they revert TP changes, but I don't think a lot of patching is necessarily going to change uh, kind of the, the ability for top laners to carry. So if, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm Nuggery and I'm looking at this, I'm like, licking my lips i want to come back into this game i want to you know show how good i am i want to challenge t1 uh in a meaningful way and i like Dokdam and and kellen i think that they were you know a big they showed a lot last year in terms of their performance i think that 
maybe you like it feels kind of bad to use the zigs in this game but they used the zigs well in the with the way that they wanted to play out this game i'm not sure it's necessarily Dokdam's meta because he's known as like this ezreal monster and we talked about it a little bit earlier but ezreal like randomly became a priority pick because of the the ezreal karma uh emphasis that both of these teams wanted to go for but that was like a I think that was a micro meta just in this best of five and not really reflective of how many other teams are, are going to be playing their series uh, on this patch. But I don't know. I think it looks it looks like time for Nuggery to come back and the storyline would be absolutely insane if T1 wins this season and then Nuggery's like, I'm here to challenge your dominance and end the streak, right? That's pretty that's pretty baller. Also, Rascal can come back to Gen G then. <laughs> The problem is, like, I wanted to ask us, do you, what do you think? Like, I'm assuming everyone's picking T1 to win the finals. The real question for me now is just, do they go undefeated? Can they 3 0 the final? I don't think so. It's, it, it really, I mean, quite frankly, I think, I think Genji has had, I mean, I don't think they will have any kind of brand comebacks, but I do think there will be one game where there's going to be slight misexecution mis at some point, or they're going to have like it's the cheesy Hecarim comeback after being 20 CS down or whatever it is, and actually make one play, and then it, it turns a bit, because they do have the individual ability to actually challenge she won in some roles, at least I would say, uh, in, in the mid to late game. It's it's not like they're bad at team fighting; They're pretty good at team fighting. They actually understand their roles pretty clearly. Um, the only difference is that their early to mid-game execution seems to be lackluster compared to T1s, where it's really surgical. So, I don't know. I, I, th I think 3-1. I, I, would, I would call it T1 3-1. Yeah, I think there, are, there are ways to win. There are ways to win. I mean, I alluded to them earlier. Genji is a is a early Dragon-focused team. That's That's been their identity. If they opt into handshake trades with T1, who wants to go for the early Herald, and they force a, an extremely early Dragon stack, I wonder, I honestly do wonder whether T1 is going to do stuff like ban Karma, because having Ezreal Karma and having hard shove lanes allows you to, to have an easier time st stacking uh, early early dragons. So there is that possibility that there could just be an early soul game or a, a kind of a disastrous soul dragon soul fight for, for T1 if they can't get into position that could, with the right dragon soul, accelerate the game into a win for Genji. I think Genji will win at least one game. Because my main issue is, I also think like they they should be good for one game. I mean, at the end of the day, we have Chovy and Ruler. Like you can just have a game where they get their picks and get a couple of kills yeah. and in a good spot and win the game. Like it's not like no one can conceive of a Chovy carry game. My problem is this though. I actually think the reason it's not as implausible as people think it could be a three zero is because I actually think the Korean regional final. I mean, the problem is when I say that now, people are going to think I mean like the old qualifier. I mean just like the final of the domestic league of LCK is one of the ones that has the most three zero finals because when you're down 2-0 the amount of pressure on you I think is I don't think it's anything like it. I think maybe Worlds should be the only Worlds finals the only comparison the amount of time teams are down 0-2 and they just capitulate completely in game 3 even in the draft half the time like that's the reason it could be a 3-0 so I guess we'll see early on if Chovy I think they have to sort of win one of the first two games basically if they can do it look I still think T1 wins but I'd, I'd, yeah I, I would say I don't know I'm kind of torn on which side to go on that one kind of torn on that one you want to we'll go to it? LEC. <laughs> <laughs> throwing, the, throwing the sponsor now. <laughs> uh, let's uh, let's go let's to LEC. Let's go to LEC. Let's go to LEC. Yeah, let's go to LEC. Okay. So first things some... first. At least in the first series, Rogue didn't choke. That was actually a pretty good series. Looked pretty clean overall. Yeah. Um, that 
it really surprised me how bad misfits were like in that series quite frankly yes like i mean there there are a lot of rookie blunders that's for sure i think even like i mean everyone tweeted about it like mythy even even acknowledged it and it's that schlatan seemed like someone that i saw the same thing in junkers too junkers and him played really similarly where they kept playing behind their own lanes in a way and it felt like that they didn't really analyze what kind of set plays they could run but they rather were opportunistic in a lot of ways where they saw well we could potentially do this if the enemy is bad i think that's bad premise for a best of five against a well-prepared team right and rogue every single play that they made was actually quite well executed besides i think it was no, it's actually pretty well executed. Myrang understood the importance of top lane, especially yep. in comparison to Misfits. Like Misfits had no idea about how to play when their top lane was threatened to to any degree. Their picks didn't really cater to it. Like the Lee Sin kept ganking, but it doesn't really execute that well. It's more of a mid to bot lane kind of uh, champion that really operates well in the bot side river, where you can get it behind the enemy bot lane, like kick them into into their team or whatever, or utilize mid power in order to make plays, but. That top lane importance really showed up, and I think Misfits has a lot of learning to do if they want to be one of the top tier teams. Um, besides, in the regular season, because they they had a misread on the mid, mid, mid lane uh, too. They didn't quite understand how to play on the mid lane for whatever reason. That was the weirdest part, right? Because remember, yeah. they're coming in with the MVP. They're coming in with the guy who carried like nearly every game that they won this split and tried to carry some of the losses. So, dude, the one thing I was hoping for in this series is at least fucking put all the resources yeah. in Vettio. Let's see what he can do, you know. And at least the first two games, it felt like they didn't even attempt to do that. Like, what? What are they? What are these setups? <laughs> I mean, it, it could it could be that that during practice, and that's maybe what it is. And usually you have to, and I think what I'm gonna allude to it in the in the in the kind of like in between meta that you have in the scrim sets, right? Uh, it it almost seemed to me that they uh, misfits as well as G2 for some reason had like really similar approaches in the games where it felt as if they saw something in mid lane that was more of a assist enemy mid laner instead of like utilizing the mid laner to facilitate plays around the map, which is something that T1 obviously does, and other teams do too, where uh, Fnatic was more on the move in every single game that they played compared to G2 as well as Misfits, and we stay with Misfits especially. V2 wasn't enabled because they simply didn't understand how to do it. Like, their, their bot lane matchups went sour a lot of the times. They didn't really orchestrate any kind of bot side river control ever, and V2 was literally left on an island in a way that I haven't seen in a long while, especially from, as you said, like an MVP type caliber, where you have such an insane win condition. You know what he brings, um, and you simply choose to ignore it. And I think that's a it's a really weird thing to see because they have been so well prepared throughout the season where they seem to at least understand the weaknesses of every single team. But Rogue's weakness is simply, well, you try to play to late game. You try to match your early game. You try to basically play the 5 to 6, I guess, or the 4 to 5, slightly outscale them, and then you make something happen in the mid to late game where Rogue is really mistake prone. But uh, they try to match him early game with the picks, but completely got outclass. I mean, I think that this was was also just like high stakes rookie choking. Yeah. Um I like Platon and Mursa played much worse than Nor like especially Mursa kind of. <laughs> it, I I mean this this was really painful to watch from a from a jungle and support perspective. Um, Actually, because by the way, if people don't know, Schlatan's champion is Lee Sin, and he got it twice in the series. Like yep. that's like a win condition for him, for real. Yeah. Uh, so I think I think honestly, like <laughs> part of this is is definitely some rookie players who haven't had this level of stress before coming into a very difficult situation. And the problem with misfits is that 
if they were going to win a, a best of five, someone was always going to have to step up who wasn't BTO. Yes. And oh, yeah. well, here's another problem they had, dude. Oh, yeah. Go and look at the draft. All Rogue did was cynically, every single time that they were on blue side, they just banned Jinx. Because guess what? If Neon doesn't have Jinx, he ain't going to fucking carry like he did in that game that they did the comeback. Like, I know that sounds like Reddit analysis, Monty. It's like one of the only ways they do a comeback is... That, but that yep. worked. It's it true. works. If you take, it's so powerful. If you take that one tool away, suddenly, like, like is he going to carry the whole game on the Zaya? It's going to be harder to get in a position to do it. So, you know. I mean, honestly, by the last game, too, it, it just reeks of desperation from this fits when oh, they're like course. trying to get this Akali and they're like, please, VTO, save us. <laughs> you know? yeah. it, oh, it's, I mean, they clearly, you can tell that Misfits game plan was not VTO Akali coming in, but they had totally run out of options yes. by the fourth game in this series, yep. even though they did manage to win the third game. I do think that that was a little bit, it was definitely Rogue taking their testing, foot. Yeah, Rogue was like doing the the Samson White kind of thing. Yes. Where they, yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say exact, not not that comparison, but for those of you who don't know, like that's the comparison when when, when Amazing was playing at Worlds on TSM and they were playing in the quarterfinals and Samsung White kind of trolled the third game of the series and like did a stupid level one invade and then played like idiots with weird picks, uh, basically. Um, I don't think I'll guess. What do you mean? <laughs> I think uh, I think with this one though, like you know, pulling out the mid Kaisa when that that's been something that really only Faker has done successfully uh, so far. It looked like they were trying to test the waters to me. That was my yes. vibe on that. You know, it's like, well, look, we're up to zero. We're probably going to win anyway. So why don't we just see if it if it's viable? And spoiler, it didn't work very well. It didn't work very well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it, it definitely felt like that was that was Rogue, like having a lead in this series, trying to get in the heads of their next opponent about what could happen. And, you know, if we can win with the mid Kaisa, well, now you have to take this into consideration. Even if they lose with it now, now you have to know that Larson might pick it. Right. So it wasn't executed very well. They turn around by the last game. Uh, they, they actually get the Yumi in this last game as well, which I thought was, you know, it was, it was well executed by them. I think you look at the start of this, you know, if you look at the draft, I think the Yumi was a really fun pick into the Rakan and Zaya and trying to get a, a scaling element and allow comp to hyper carry in this game. They go with a really safe, like Oriana blind, um, which of course Larson will be very comfortable with. Uh, I love the, I mean, Malrong was incredibly fun to watch for this entire series. Sure. Uh, yeah. I, we can argue about, if his builds are good or not until the end of time, is chem tank Zonia's good on Jarvan? No. Uh, message. You send him a message. <laughs> Was did he send a message? Yes. Like, you know, sometimes if if you're going to use the items, if you're going to use the actives well, it's it can be difficult to argue with. But I, I I'm I'm not sure that's going to work at like an international level. Let's There's one problem way. I had with this series, and I noticed no one's mentioned this name yet. Right. Do you remember last split in the summer, one of the players who also, I mean, actually all last year, to be fair, he was pretty good. Actually, Hirit in the top lane last year was a pretty good player for Misfits. Like, he ended up being sort of found gold, ended up getting better as the split. Mate, not only was this split bad, this series, fucking yeah. boo, boo, get him out, get him out the server. This was garbage. What the fuck is I mean, this? he didn't have any There's help from his jungler support, which is crucial to the top lane meta right now. So he he, he was going to look worse. <laughs> he deserves <laughs> to be on an island. <laughs> look, he, he has had a disappointing year compared to last year. I thought he was pretty good last year. I think he's been mediocre this year. Um, maybe that's just the price of this, you know, playing in this top lane meta, but also... As again, as Odo Omni, he he basically foreshadowed what came this week, which is he said people aren't playing through the top lane 
and then Rogue very, 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 very deliberately played through the top lane of Noto Omne in this series, and it looked better. I think that is the appropriate way to play in the current meta, and I don't think here it has necessarily had that level of support. And if you are going to do that, you have to play topside with your jungle and support. And if your jungle and support are having horrific games, yeah, you're just fucked, is. man. You're just fucked. <laughs> he also, though, here's the thing, though, dude. He also, in my opinion, isn't suited to be an LEC top laner for this reason. He doesn't lose with grace. If he starts losing games, he just feeds. Like, he's the guy. He's reminded me of, like, old school Hooney. He's either going to carry the game or hit the game. There's no there's no in-between. Because guess what? The mentality that causes the carry is the same mentality that ints the fuck up the game. Like, he's playing against Otto Amner, the guy who shows you how to fucking lose when it's not the right matchup. You're behind in lane. You're down a kill. You've just been ganked. Like, that's the guy who shows you what to do. So the reason I'm bringing this up is because, like, they were never going to win this series, but this is one of the reasons they were never in it. It's like they had, they couldn't even get the mid lane advantage. Spoiler, they were already playing against the second best mid lane. You needed that to be 100% your total win condition. And even then it wasn't going to definitely win the series. So to me, it's like, I, this was such an underwhelming series in general for Misfits. I don't know what they think they accomplished from this, you know? I mean, like, what did you learn from this series? I mean, I learned like, that Zlatan and Mursa had huge nerves. And if you don't, if you don't have jungle and support putting pressure on the map and getting you vision, then you just get owned. Like, the, that's it. <laughs> then they're going to be in trouble in the next book, series. Yeah, it, that's what it's like. I mean, actually, it's more of a greater question, like for, for what is what is in future, in, uh, what the future has in store for Misfits. Because quite frankly, they have been playing, uh, I mean, not, I wouldn't say catch up, but kind of, they've been trying to play catch up with the top tier teams for quite a while now, right? That last year where they had the rookies come come into play and they uh, performed better and better. And at some point they were actually e actually able to uh, almost make it worse, right? They they lost 2-3 yeah, yeah. against Rogue. Now this year they operated in a similar mindset and literally just signed uh, rookie players that they could then utilize in order to, you know, make their team better. And they fought with the same, like they actually became worse. So, to me, it's more of a question: Is there is there system of operation actually working where they try to get away with almost cheating the system by signing rookies similar to how um, Alliance has done it, yeah. and and then see if it works out? And I don't think that this is a viable strategy if the players themselves still are so unfinished that they have to utilize like strategies that are really singular. They throughout the year they have been playing. Jinx on the ADK role as much as they can. They've been playing Lee Sin as much as they can, which is not inherently bad if you develop alongside, but they clearly haven't. So their yes. champion pool is, is an issue. And their overarching question is simply, will they be able to play, play catch up with that in summer? And to me, if this is a kind of a preview for what's to happen in summer, I don't quite see that to, be, to happen. And um, they need to figure out a different way to approach, I suppose, even like, I mean, I don't make too much of the series, but... Uh, if I see the year and I see last year and I see now the the decline almost um, just based upon one meta switch, which is that people play more through top lane. Well, that 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 is if that if that breaks your team and if that makes you lose this hard and your rookies choke this badly in the playoff system, right? Then you clearly have made wrong calls in, in some of the hirings that you've made throughout the year. So for me, that is. That is the bigger question at hand. And I don't know, man. There's no way to know it until you put a, put a rookie in this situation, right? How can you know? Yeah, but here's what I would say, though, Monty, is don't do two, then. Yeah. Well, also, yeah, by the way, they do have... Yeah, yeah, Thunder. Thunder. They, they, that's what I was going to say. They do have Vander sitting on their amateur roster right now. <laughs> like, he's literally there. Uh, yeah. That, I mean, that's, that's, that's also something like, I mean, I, I, I've been vocal about this in the past with veteran players versus rookies, is that you get blinded by by the benefits that you have throughout the year, right? Like, they have more energy in, in the split, in the 
they're cheaper the money they're cheaper they're cheaper that's what it is, but they, <laughs> they, do, they do have a different approach to the regular season right like if you have a veteran like someone like wonder for example who uh, notoriously didn't give a give an f like um but then showed up in playoffs to a certain extent that is the same system that works for most veteran players especially after year three year four where they get so used to just play, i mean you're playing literally 18 games a season which is not much but you're playing around well it's five it's five times five 25 it's it's around 100 scrims i mean it's around 100 scrims per month you have like 300 scrims whatever per season and that's that's a lot of games right and if you get blinded by the work ethic and the and the and the ability of certain rookies to uh go through the grind and then you know be burned out by playoffs well that's that's a that's a very vast issue that is still very um i mean occurring within the ADC, especially where they continuously hire rookies and then think that their regular season approach is somehow going to translate to to uh to the very playoff system that just doesn't work that way and you have i mean i don't know how Vander is right now like i was wrong about soas too <laughs> no offense to him but soas is like uh i mean kind of at the bottom of the barrel in, in the in the in the germany well whether it's his fault or not you know but it's more about the the player could be bad right now and that's why they made that choice but you have to understand that there is a I would rather take a veteran at a five, and I think there is an upset of a nine, whatever it is, than take a take a, take a rookie at a seven and then hope that he continues to be a seven or like something like that into the playoffs. Because they, you have seen the upside, you know the definite value of someone. It's kind of weird to just hope that that other person is going to have the same value come playoff time. What I would say is this, because I actually read an interview in Venn Global Kid with Deficio, which addressed some of these topics. Basically, as far as I can tell, Deficio's trying to do a similar blueprint to last year. Because if people don't remember, what made actually Misfits very bold last year and the gamble yeah. paid off was that after the spring split, where some of these players didn't look as great, like people like Vethio were way more up and down, and obviously some of the other players weren't as epic as they were in the summer. They stuck with the team, though. That's the key thing. So essentially what they said then is, we're playing for summer and to be good for the world's qualification. That was kind of the end goal, right? So they stuck with it and obviously it paid off. Vethi was way better. You saw most Vazork was an MVP candidate. Like all these things went really well. So this split, essentially, I think they tried to do the same thing because Deficio's explanation for why they didn't pick Vander was very interesting. He basically said that they actually did bring Vander along in the preseason, along with Mercer, and they did kind of like a tryout and Mercer won the spot. And his reasoning was, he said in the off season it turned out that the champions meta for support actually became enormous you had to play like 15 different champions and that Mercer did like a really good job like short term adapting to them all but then the other interesting detail was he said that he'd specifically drafted uh, signed Neon as the AD carry because he wanted the AD carry to be more vocal to allow like someone like Mercer I guess to like uh, integrate into the role or whatever so I get like the logic but essentially what you're saying there is you're also playing for summer again it's like right we're not going to have it from day one it's not going to be implemented the new system you've got to build it up build trust between the players learn how to have one person call in this way and the premise is i guess he's gambling that summer they're going to level up from support and jungle and it's going to be a better team but the problem is like again kind of like mad lion saw that you can't you know, every gamble can't work you don't always get the payoff everyone doesn't get always get 15 percent better between splits it might get worse who knows i mean depending on the amb ambitions that's that's kind of the question like what is the ambition do they want to be a words contender then this is clearly not. I mean, it's not going to work out. If we think about the the re, even the regional differences in the in the players, right? Uh, if we think about Schlatans, even at his best rank in EU, he's maybe scratching the top three, probably rather top five, top uh, top six. I think that's more fair. Yeah, yeah. that's probably more the, uh, like rather there because Synchrof is, is obviously better. Jankos was better throughout the regular season too. Like he played a lot better. Uh, and then you have Resorc, who's still up there. He's still Malrang. doing pretty well. Malrang. So yeah, he's barely scratching the top six, top seven at this point. 
um, especially with his performance. And the Mercer, well, at his best, where is he going to rank, right? Is he below Mickey X at this point? Even? Yes. Probably, right? Absolutely, yes. And Mickey X is like kind of the barometer that you're measuring himself with, well, then you have a player that is likely, or at best, maybe going to be a top five player in his region. And that is usually... I mean, no, we, get... can just, we can just name them. Like, he's worse than Trimby. He's worse than uh, Targanas. He's worse than Hillisang. <laughs> definitely yeah. worse than Hillisang. Definitely worse. I would say definitely worse than Mickey. Although Mickey, Mickey was... We'll talk about his performance. He was very good yeah. and very bad in the same series. That would even be what I would say. Dude, remember, at the beginning of the split, as XL know, Mickey X wasn't on any team. Imagine crazy, if you had Mick right? X on the Misfits team. I mean, imagine, I mean, imagine a lot of things. Like, I, I still don't understand how this guy went teamless after. Oh, it's wild, isn't it? Like, I mean, maybe, I mean, I, I, I kind of remember there was some kind of storyline around, like, him, like, the offers drying up as, as the buyout decreased, if I remember correctly. That um, I think also was, a, I don't remember this correctly, maybe, but I, I think I, I read about it where, the bad was decreasing over time, but the as the options were drying up, so it was kind of too late for him for the bio to decrease at that point. But irregardless, and we have a meta in which case, like you have a lot of like really good players not being in LDC and really meh players. I'm gonna say meh, not bad, being in LDC by comparison, right? You had this with Mickey X. Even reckless, to a certain extent, is disputable. Whether Gosh, or not you like yeah. him or whatever it is, is it doesn't matter. Thing. He's the, he's like he's the reigning MVP. I was technically from Spring, but yeah. Oh yeah, yeah technically from Spring. You're right. Then you have Niski, who is also out there. Would, would um, be immediate upgrade for a bunch of teams, of course. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I mean, and I think you talked about this too, where the top teams outside of the LEC, right? The the ERL teams, especially like someone like K Corp and. Um, maybe even some something like Fnatic Rising or GL or uh, whatever teams there are, like they have almost they have better infrastructure at this point as some of the LEC team, and yeah. they have better players. Like how is that? How's I still can't believe that is a thing, and well, that is man. that is fascinating to me because for me it's, it should be that the LEC should continuously try to um, upgrade throughout their ranks to get the best potential players. But everyone comes in with their decent with their agencies to a certain extent. They're like, well, we want to have this, we want to have this. Because I do believe that this is better for our roster. But it's like, well, if you ignore a lot of talent because it's it's inconvenient to sign or they bring in some baggage, uh, yet they're way better than your players, well, then you have an issue. And I think I think at least like both, and we talked about this too at the, in the last episode we did together, I think it was like with Rich, actually. We talked about this with, with Matt Lyons. It's also the same thing. Well, you're signing players that are potentially, potentially good against players that are already Definitely confirmed good. good. And I think that is... <laughs> And that is well, something that we see. We see. Mis- I mean, in English, I don't know all this. It's a pretty, a pretty famous proverb: "A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush." Because yeah. the premise is, you have to catch the fucking two in the bush. If you fuck it up, you get zero. Don't you? That for some reason, that is like alien to people in the LEC. They don't get that yeah. premise. Well, I mean, they just don't want to pay the money. I mean, there's a reason. That's like, that as well, of course. They yes. don't want to pay the money. Like they, there's a humanoid. Humanoid and Reza didn't I have to leave their that. teams. Like they were on really good teams. Humanoid won all the splits last year. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it's clear that Mad Lions, the the reigning back to back champions, didn't want to make a competitive offer to keep Humanoid on the roster because we should assume that Humanoid probably would have stayed on the roster had Mad Lions wanted to make a, com- a competitive, a competitive offer. You, you, you can hate. You can hate. In a teams with their like with their infrastructure, or whatever, some their their play, all you want, but 
NA teams actually understand this up price that they have to pay for certain players if they have successful careers outside of the League of Legends, outside of playing, right? They would pay that up price for Reckless. They would pay that up price for Niski just to have that brand and that kind of face on board. And they understand the value of that. And that's something that in EU, uh, which is why I do believe that, I mean, to me, at least like this year, especially, I think the EU level has really dropped. Like it has significantly dropped to my estimation, where it feels it's it's far behind the ICK right now. It's far behind um, uh, the LPL right now. It's actually potentially behind. Now, I've made this point in the, in the preseason and people didn't, want, didn't like it, is that I do believe that LEC at this point could potentially be worse overall than the LCS, simply because like there is a That's lot the of... Headline. <laughs> That's the headline. Write it down. That's the headline. Write it down. It's because there's a lot of unused talent and that talent is used in NA, right? You, you have that talent. Never Jensen, the but sure. Okay. But, I mean, <laughs> Jensen, I mean, to be fair, to be fair, I guess, I guess like... I guess Jensen is one of them. I mean, Pobeta is also out there, but I don't know how good he is right now. But it's it's that you have like one or two players that are being unused. But in you, it feels like that there are potentially ten players per role or five players per role that are potentially unused, depending on the situation they could find themselves in. And it's just that the magic pieces are not being put in the uh, right way. Like a lot of uh, Ariel teams have better players than some of these uh, some of the bottom tier teams, and it's like it's a lot. And even even if we think about like just Niski and Reckless, like these people are franchise players to a certain extent, and they're not being used. So uh, it begs the question, like, and that is kind of the extension by the, of the Mrs. problem is that how far can you get get the theory to work in practice, right? And and that is that is a an everlasting question. Yet we have some confirmation that the theory only goes so far, and practice is a lot more efficient to go by. So um, I mean, to come back to the series, Misfits, if they want to make any kind of headlines that come next i mean i guess they play next week they have a lot of issues to fix and it's mainly around like trying to calm the nerves as you said but it's also i guess finding some kind of agency uh for for the players individually because none of the players were able to do what what they wanted at all like schlatan wasn't able to carry in the early game he wasn't able to uh, make any plays because he was simply kind of kind of ganked every single game every single time um vito wasn't enabled and mercer and neon um, I mean, they often relied on comeback wins, but they also had a decent lane phase, which made them uh, quite a formidable force, and they weren't able to do that either. They literally were not playing the game. So for me, that is a really weird thing to see, and they have to do something about it. And it's 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 more than just the play. It's it's obviously psychological too. I I think for me, it's just been LEC has be, been behind the meta curve. Like it only felt like they were playing the meta that the rest of the world was playing like playing through carry tops this last week so i yeah i mean maybe they can get good enough at it by msi or we see a team that has made these adjustments like rogue um you know getting better by that point in time but it it just feels that they even lcs was was heavily playing through a lot of uh of carry top laners and they felt like they had who's, who's good enough right now that like in EU that is actually good enough in the top lane that that's tough could... yeah because the thing is in theory Broken Blade almost is like the one who's been yes. playing through him and getting carries beyond that like oh do I'm there like you see on the JSK but he can do it but you have to have the jungler play for him obviously I don't fully know on Wonder because he just hasn't really been asked to do it that much in Fnatic in theory you know he can from historical reasons yeah. It, the, the list's getting pretty short after that. Like, in theory, I guess the Eric guy could last year, but hasn't this year. Like, you're running out of names now because then you're getting into the territories of the Finns of the world. I'm not a huge fan, to be fair. Oh, I guess Alfari, in theory, can. There you go. There's per one. Perks, there's players. Per 
Perks talked about this, I think, in 2020, when they talked about the jungle meta changing between like the regional jungle meta and the world's jungle meta. And right. I, I do think that in the microcosm of like one or two weeks, I don't think you can change up your style that you have been playing the all, all split long. Like the only ones that are maybe adapted, and as you said, as you alluded to, like is Broken Blade because he's already been playing that style. But o Odo is like his style is obviously very controlled, and the way that he plays right now is also he he does he's able to carry through top end, but it's not a volatile carry style. It's not like he breaks the game open and sim single handedly carries it. It's more of within the system of the team. So if it's convenient for my rank to go top end, he goes top end. But it's not like they're doing this. Every single time, every single game, con consciously, uh, as a game plan, it's more about a general direction in which they're going. So, um, I mean, it was better, but it was only five games, right? Or four games, right? Yeah, four, yeah. Um, so, we don't the know. The obvious concern for me would be this is imagine a world where the best EU team actually did turn out to be Fnatic. Fnatic plays with the fucking bot lane. That's what their whole team identity has been about the whole split, pretty much. <laughs> It's it's actually really fun to watch them, by the way. Like it's really oh, they're fun a mega team, of course. They're, yeah, but... they're they're complete psychopaths in the bot lane. I've never seen something like that. Like, oh my god! When I, I remember that one scene when I think I think it was one one of the, the support was recalling. Um, I mean, there's this the bot lane bush, right? Like uh, as you go to lane, and you have like the the two barriers, and they have like the bot lane bush and they're the golems. Like one was basically recalling above the bush, like looking for the for for Hillisang and and upset, and the other one was recalling below the bush basically hitting and hiding a turret and both of them got run down from their from the enemy turret to their own turret and still got cancelled like 20 seconds 30 seconds later because they were so afraid of already recalling in lane <laughs> and still got chased down and both got cancelled and suddenly lost all tempo on the map and the game was over like through that one play it's as dumb as it sounds it's when i when i watch for night play it's the only team that i can see makes they make something greater happen than they actually are right now like and i think that's that's kind of weird to to say about a yamato ken team because i've always thought of him as a non-innovator but rather someone that's really good at utilizing the meta to his advantage and really making like his team safe and sound and then uh they're they're pretty good within their patch but whatever hillisang and upset are doing is is quite frankly something no one in the world does and it's this recall canceling into yep. tempo control you see into that a good example of this, by the way, is in game two of this series, even when Hillisang like hooks into the turret and dies on Nautilus and like ints the lane, basically, when he when he recalls, he actually when he when he revives rather, when he comes back to life and he walks in the lane, he actually like cancels Flacken's recall, like when he comes back. And it's like it, you know, he does things even from disadvantage disadvantageous situations uh, that yep. are really interesting to watch. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And you know, he had a bad game in game two, uh, which is, you know, certainly yeah. a huge factor in, in the loss that they had in that game. But the rest of the series, he was great. On point. Yeah. yeah. I <laughs> even think the aspect that's a bit underrated about that bot lane, by the way, is historically, like, look, when they had Reckless and Hillisang, that was a very good bot lane too. But the difference is, even though stylistically in the modern day actually upset and Reckless have some decent stylistic comparisons, like they are way more aligned than back in the day when people used to try and force like the upset forgiving comparison, which I don't think is applicable in the modern day if you look how they play. But the difference is this, if people don't know, behind the scenes, actually Hillisang and Reckless had very different philosophy on the game. And it's more almost like they just had an interesting creative tension as to how they played in the game. Upset and Hillisang for real look like they are on completely the exact same page for the whole time I've seen them play together now. Like they they look like they know exactly what they're doing. I mean, not entirely because obviously Hillisang is not consciously knowing the fucking plays going for, but they have total buy in from that lane. So I agree, like the pairing is incredible. 
that question is just like I said. If the meta is how it is right now, essentially the best EU team is going to be playing maybe from the wrong side of the map. I mean, the, the, it could also be, um, I mean, the winner can adapt, but maybe the meta within EU is actually the way that it is because of how top-down uh, the EU structure usually is. It's EU sometimes adapts, but they don't, they don't necessarily, the, the bottom two teams oftentimes copy the top two teams, and it happens in every region, obviously. And at some point, you must have that must have had that adaptation towards Fnatic, who has consistently been, to my estimation, the best team in, in EU, besides like Rogue for, for quite uh, for short stretch. But Upset and Hillsong have definitely been the best bot lane. And if you didn't match them in the early game, if you weren't able to do anything against them, you had to, you literally forfeited the game to a certain extent. And I think that may be something that has been dri driving the evolution within EU to actually be more bot lane centric. So um, it may not just be that EU is, is how to put this, that they're bad at top lane, is that they consciously are really good at bot lanes and really bot lane centric play. Maybe that's something, I mean, it sounds like a lot of opium copium, but to me, that is something uh, that could actually be a, a fact within within the play styles that have evolved because Fnatic still, I mean, even at this point, when I watch them play, I think I think there would be a threat to a lot of teams. I just don't think that the overall region of EU is as good as as it should be because the other teams simply, quite frankly, besides maybe Rogue, they suck. Like G2 sucks, Misfit sucks, Vitality sucks. There are glaring flaws to all of these teams. Like there, there are really I, big holes. I thought I was eloquent enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think that they suck in different ways, right? But I think you could say the same thing about LCS. I, I, even even Cloud9's drafts right now are looking a little bit suspect. And like, you know, Team Liquid has had some giga throws from really big big advantages because of bat terrible macro plays. Um, so just the buipo factor once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> so that's true. It's true. Uh, it, it is harder to believe that TL will like suffer in a best of five from that because throwing a game isn't going to be the end of the world. Um, and especially to be fair though, I, I also think another factor is like ADC pool and LEC is pretty fucking good right now. Actually, oh, yeah. that's a pretty strong position, even though historically it was. I mean, if people don't know the original League of Legends regions back in the day, that was supposed to be the weakest position from Europe because we never had like until Forgiven the like hard carry ADCs. We always had the more support of like the yellow peats of the world, didn't we? That was more our sort of fucking Genji was our top guy for folks. <laughs> In his mind, he was. It was more like the, the, the role was a carry at the time. <laughs> That's all you need to know exactly. I think late game Cogmore was a carry, not necessarily Yellow Pete. That would be my, <laughs> that would be my way of explaining it, you know. He was piloting it, though. No, because I, I think that's the case totally. Whereas, meanwhile, like... I even made this point on Twitter, but I don't think people get it. Like, if you want to tie back into that topic earlier about, like, you know, essentially don't throw away something that was very valuable previously, but maybe he's having, like, a, a, a doubt, a period where it's not valued as highly for the rookie every time. Here's a factor that I would immediately say that right now. So, obviously, the amazing G2 lineup from 2019 and 2020, spoiler, except for one team, they're all just spread out across the bloody remaining LEC teams. It's like they just split up Exordia, and that just is all the other teams. Like, that just shows why... it. This is why, to me, you know, in the off-season, some people are like, I wonder if anyone will sign Wonder or Mickey. It's like, no one's going to gamble on them. What, nobody? Like, dude, if I'm the third or fourth best team, I'm going straight for that guy. Because all I'm gambling is he has his turnaround season. This is his comeback season. By the way, it's already worked out like a motherfucker for XL. They almost were in... They were all, almost made it past this series. That probably wouldn't they happen. Should, they should have won that series. They, yeah. should, they should have won it. And one of the main factors they were even in this series was because Mickey X played really fucking well and carried sure. some of these games. Yeah, yeah. 
Because yeah, that yeah. was to me the, the potential game changer. It's like that's like fa- it's not really found money because you had to pay for him, but to get Mickey X part way through a split, like I'd like to have someone like that walking through the bloody door when things are going bad. That that actually gets me back to the to the point that like the veterans versus rookies, right? It's it's not necessarily even about that, but it's also that some players that are like some veterans have this X factor in them. They have this X factor, and I think Mickey Mickey X just he could be really fucking bad at the game right now. Like he could literally not be able to lane he would still be able to read the map correctly at certain times and make that one or two uh, one or two play set where he simply wins the game for you and i think that's something that's so undervalued that i don't say clutch factor but that's what it is where they read the map on a higher level than most other players do where the other players are simply operating on this lane status they're like okay we're just gonna go lane we're gonna get 10 cs advantage 15 cs advantage we're gonna win the game but it's like this make or break kind of play where they analyze the map correctly and do something about it and that is something that is so undervalued and not omnipresent with a lot of teams, and which is why, like someone like Wonder, someone like Mickey X, and even someone like, I mean, I suppose even Caps, despite his performance recently, is still a, f- a player to be, f- or are still players to be feared because of that very ability to make something happen with the moment that actually couldn't win you the game. So, um, I don't know, like, but to come back on that on that vitality uh, Exa thing. Uh, I, I am still so dumbfounded by how Excel lost, but I'm also very dumbfounded by how awful I perceive Vitality to be. Like, that is something that I... I Vitality's I, only good game in this series was Game 5, in my opinion. Yeah. And I mean, think about it, like, that would even, you would even be primed for it then because that's when all those bloody rookies like Marcoon, that's when their arsehole becomes so tight you can fit a grain of rice through it. Like, yeah, of course that guy is going to be amazing in the first three games. And then, like, what do you expect? Like, the joke there is Vitality didn't even win. XL just fucking gave up. There you go. You like game, that? Game, game, two, game two seemed like it, yeah. It was a, it was a weird series. It was really uh, weird. I, I, and, and game two, by the way, I'd love to take, get your take on this amazing. I am unsure... If they don't, if Vitality doesn't like get Cloud Soul, I don't know if they win this game. Because if it's not Cloud Soul, which is obviously incredible on Olaf, uh, I, I don't know if you, they could win. Because a lot of this was self-made, just like being able to sprint, sprint into the back line uh, yes. with Cloud Soul. So uh, I, I think that they, they got big lucky in terms of the RNG. <laughs> that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I guess, I guess, if you had like Inferno Soul or whatever, it may have been something similarly, but it is, it was very important. For the the weirdest part about it though was was just the fact that they even got to play that game. That is really weird. If you lose the early, the way that you do with Olaf, if I remember correctly, it was like they lost the early game. They were down by like four four k, if, if I remember correctly, um, and the game should just end. But again, we have this comeback mechanic plus, honestly, just some experience. Finn's inability times. to press R was a huge factor. The <laughs> 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 there were, misplays were made. Misplays were made. Misplays were made. <laughs> yeah, I, I looked it up right now. So, uh, like, seven. I, I need to rewatch it too. They're down it. by something like four or five K gold, a few towers. They've sh- they've split a Drake each. Like, yeah, in this scenario, like Vitality was like in a pretty decent spot early on in that game. It looks like. Oh yeah, let's let's quickly. Uh... Yeah, it, it, the the way that Exa played too was kind of reminiscent of like the old, I suppose, even Fnatic teams that that Gamba coached. You know what I mean by that? Like the Roxa teams, not the uh, not the not the non-Broxa, the better ones, I would say. Um, but it, because they kept 
kept making plays, but it was like on the kind of like rogue centric timer where they saw something and were like level three, level four, level five. We have these operational plays. We're going to make this happen. And they worked like clockwork. And at some point, for some reason, they, they just decided not to do that anymore. And they made plays in fourth place that were completely, I don't say anesthetic, but that's kind of what I felt when I watched the game. Uh, um, because they made plays that were uncharacteristic for the comp that they played because they played a really, I mean, they quite frankly played a scaling comp, uh, which you could argue outscales the enemy or not, but I do believe that they should have uh, if you just played clean down. And they didn't. At some point, they became hyper-focused on just making plays uh, especially on the sidelines, when you have uh, when you have Victor, uh, when you have uh, Zillion uh, Jinx still scaling, you have Volibear engage. You simply there are two options you can have. You can either have both sidelines rotate to mid lane, can have the pinch maneuver, or you literally just overload on the sideline at some point because because you have the rise that is going to have prior, or the trainer is going to have prior, and then you literally just like have him reset, go on the sideline together, you play three two, and then you make a play on on the Nard that is really vulnerable, or the Victor is really vulnerable. So for me, it was really evident that they had some kind of lack of experience around playing silence, which would at least make sense if you have a rookie jungler and a like Finn as a top laner, because Finn is not necessarily the guy that I would say is the this side laner uh, himself. He's more of a uh, group first kind of person. So um I don't know, like I wish well, I, Exit would have won it. This game two biggest... comp is like great for one three one, right? It's it's yeah. it's insane. Like you should be able to get an advantage with tower dives early between Volibear and Trindamir. Like you should be able to dive turrets because you have two forms of being invulnerable to the turrets, right? And frankly, like Finn fucked that up. <laughs> There's no other way to say it. Uh, <laughs> and then and then in the late game, like you should have a rise and and Trindamir in the side lanes and then you have yep. a then you have a zillion jinx volibear where if they allocate because you should like it should take multiple people to stop the Trindamir. if you see them doing that then you just dive under the turret with volibear and zillion ults or you just take the tower right and that that that's a it's a good composition it's a good composition yeah. and I you like can the... team fight with it if you if you need to as well like ideally you want a one four split and have the Trindamir not there or cleaning up but you have the power of the late game zillion. You have hyper carries on this team. Uh, it's it's not a bad comp, and they just failed to execute it pretty spectacularly. Yeah, I mean the the R is pretty hard to press. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> just happens. As I just rewatched it, uh, he was chasing down the R and <laughs> gets boomeranged in his face and didn't react. So that happens, I guess. But yeah, I mean, I wish Exo would have won. Quite frankly, for my own sake, because yeah, me too. I I do believe that Vitality didn't. I mean. I, I mean, I don't think that Selfmade at this point in time is a good jungler in my book. Like, I, I can't... I thought I thought about it for a long time because I do respect his efforts, especially when he's on Fnatic, but then I rewatched and rethought re about his, his time in XK, then I rethought about his, his ongoing time in Vitality now, and to me, I, there are too many stars that have to line for him to be a carry, and it's mostly centered around, like, his AFK farming style would work out. He's kind of like a professional version of Melis at this point, which is, to my estimation, I mean, more professional version, I guess. Um, that is, to my estimation, not necessarily the playstyle that you want to run if you have to make plays for your team and if you have to execute something. Because they all, all of them, Selfmade, uh, Alfari, Perks, and their botlane, they all exist in isolation. It's not like they have any kind of cohesion where I'm like, this is their playstyle. There is no playstyle. It's, it's simply AFK farming on every single role 
hoping that something works out. And if it does, they look good because they win mid to late game team fights. If it doesn't work out, they suddenly find themselves in a three K hole or four K hole, and then they they don't know they don't quite know what to do besides team fighting. And then it, it's again the same issue, right? So for me, is it is shameful that Vitality with their performance was able to get to the get to the next level uh, because they like. In, <laughs> I would bet that every other team, even Misfits, would have probably beaten them in that very best of five. Like, I think Excel was the only one that could lose this with the way that they played. Like, individual errors, but more or less simply that they were too focused on, like, you know, they have to get too far ahead to win against good teams, which is what Excel's issues, issue has been throughout the split, in my opinion. Our think- problem is this, and you might know this analogy. This reminds me of back in the day early fucking clear love monty do you remember those arguments those fucking wars on talk shows where obviously all the lpl people thought he was really good and then you were obviously always like well he's not is he look at like the korean jugglers they gank all the time this motherfucker just afk farms right the way i used to try and describe it was this i actually used to say to the lpl people look if we're being straight up if you look at what a jungler is retired to do required to do he is a bad jungler like he's not he's not doing that shit like you can't build your team around him normally but i acknowledge if you ignore the roles he's sort of a good player in his own very unique way that's what self-made is to me at this point like if i actually ask what is a jungler required to do right now oh yeah he's not very good at it like he's he's nowhere near the best jungler in the lc but in terms of like a skilled player he's a very skilled player so you see if he gets his right champion and the right game of course he'll have a game where he'll get 10 kills he'll do it the problem is game to game what i want from a jungler i have a hard time building a team around this guy i think the biggest problem if i were to sum up self-made he's a good team fighter um, and he understands who to target and how to play around a composition in the mid and late game. The biggest problem with Vitality is they lack any kind of team cohesion around wave states or yeah. how to... They, they have no set plays, it feels like. It feels like they don't understand how to play around their laning phase in the early game or how to apply pressure based on map state. That's that's what it feels like to me. And I think you can see this because the one time they did this was in the final game of the series where yep. I think Selfmade played properly for the first time that I've seen in a long time where he recognized that Patrick and Mickey on the Caitlyn Lux combo, which, by the way, I have no idea why XL wanted to do this when Jinx was open and Jinx was working for the rest of the series. That's like very weird. I think I think a lot of it was they wanted Mickey to carry on the Lux, which he has done. Uh, in previous games and he can provide this damage but when they saw that they were going to be playing this very aggressive lane early on and that they wanted to push and take plates what ended up happening was self-made gets helps out uh, alfari in top lane early on to get the early advantage into the mordekaiser huge advantage to the camille at that point in time and then he spends the rest of the time literally in the the xl's bot side jungle so that Caitlyn and Lux can't pressure and get any kind of advantage, and then they get outscaled by the affiliates. To me, this is playing around win conditions, and also Perks was shoving in mid lane with the Orianna. I saw Selfmade doing what what a good jungler should do in that scenario, and he played it really well. Um, but I don't I see that a lot of the time. Like I, uh, so many times this season, I see like a wave about to crash, and then Selfmade is just not there, and then Alfari dies to a dive, or you know, they're they're really not set up very well in terms of reading the map a minute or two in advance, and then they rely as a crutch on their the team's ability to team fight 
or kind of individual skill later in the game. So I guess I the the answer is I guess I was encouraged by Vitality Game Five because it finally looked like they had gotten their shit together. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's just one Good game. So, but I'm just I'm just trying to fathom like as to how it how that happens, right? Like when you have, I mean. Rich obviously has had a different approach to Carsey than I have. I still think that Carsey was pretty good last year. I still think that it was pretty active. I was kind of unsure about Labrov. But the overall team makeup should incentivize aggression. It should incentivize aggression, right? Like you have Perks, who's relatively aggressive. He wants to make plays. Selfmade usually want to make plays. The only passive players that I can see on this roster are more like Alfari, who's who's kind of the Odo Amna kind of train of lane focused and then trying to make some plays with the team, but it's not necessarily like in his best interest. And vice versa, Labrov, who's... I mean, I still don't have a proper read on this guy. I don't know if he's good or bad. Like, I'm I'm perfectly honest, but I don't see him as someone that is going to be the playmaker, similar to Hillesang is, or even Trimby to a certain extent is, right? He's not on the same level of game expertise, but which forces him to be passive. But of all, the, 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 the direction of the team should be more aggressive. Yet, they, as you said, like no set plays... But it's also that they don't understand the innate advantages of the champions to begin with. And that is more concerning to me because that is a game knowledge problem that is probably to, due to either bad coaching or low motivation, whatever it is. I don't know what it is, but it seems to be pointing in that direction where, like, if you have Ola, for example, or you have, like, whatever it is, or you have more advantage, like, engaged advantages, whatever it is, it's really clear what you have to do. It's really clear cut. And it t- took them four to five games to actually even understand the very patterns in which case Excel was operating and it just seemed by sheer luck that they at some point figured out we're like, oh we have to do this. And that is that is much more concerning to me than anything else that I've seen from them. Which I don't know, like I, I don't know where to go from there, from here. But it, it it's like the third or fourth time that I see the, see this with Alfari teams where he is obviously good enough. He's really good as a player, but yet his teams seem really low in terms of the set play systems, instead of the operation, like the level of operation that they're that they're on, they don't they don't seem to be cohesive. Nor do they seem to understand how to play the game. And it seems to be that Alfai, like despite his individual greatness, also has to bring something more to the team. Like it is concerning to me that this happens like four to five times. Same with with Selfmate now. Like it's a second time now. And with Perks, I guess with Cloud9, he had the similar issue that all these players kind of don't have functional teams in some senses. Um, that they've been working on recently, at least. For me, one factor that is never considered, though, and this is the smoke screen, because of the players on paper, we never usually get off bloody paper. The whole discussion is like, super team, is it a super team? They're a super team. By the way, spoiler, it is. A super team is defined before the lineup plays. It doesn't matter if they turn out to sock later. And yes, obviously, that guy who's like a coach of Vitality trying to be like, why are they calling it a super team when your own brand was entirely like, we just signed the biggest roster of all time, motherfucker. Like, you did that. Have a conversation with yourself, mate. Let's go, you know? let's go through the players and ask ourselves, is this a super team? Okay, Perks, uh, greatest Western player of all time alfari been the best top laner in europe even on bad teams super hyped coming into team liquid um you know, champion. <laughs> you know self, self-made super hype jungler on consistently top teams karzy uh back-to-back champion in the lec <laughs> like lebron is really the only one who you're like well oh, that guy yeah. may not be the greatest right but and there was a huge expectation on some mechanical beast yeah of course so anyway the point i was going to make was this because we're all obsessed with the players and we keep saying why are the players not working about that right, here's the question for you all who's their coach i bet half the people in chat couldn't even tell you who their coach is 
There's an obvious question I would have. If I was going to spend millions and millions on a project, I mean, perks is I the might answer. Go ahead. I might just go ahead and break the bank <laughs> and get a famous coach as well, because I have to have someone to actually do something with those pieces. Like, you can't just make an NFL team and have no coach. So the problem I have is I just don't know their coach. It's someone who I've looked it up. He's apparently an assistant coach on Fanatic two years, three years ago, and he was an assistant coach of Vitality beforehand. I mean, to be okay. fair, Faker is the coach of T1 right now, and that's working. You know, and, you know, Perks, Perks yeah, and Alfari should be the coaches of this team if we're being real. <laughs> now, to me, that's the bigger issue, is if I bring in all these pieces, either, yes, for real, the players are going to coach the team and they know what they're doing, or I'm bringing in, like, a like a big-name person to be the coach. I'm bringing in, like, a bigger figure to put his stamp on oh, the game. But... That's the one area they don't have anything. <laughs> Look, I think... I think the biggest problem here is that nobody is actually dictating what the games, what should be done yeah. in the game state. Like it, it feels like self-made isn't doing it. LeBron definitely isn't doing it because LeBron is in the wrong place all the time on this team. Uh, and so they're not able, like it's either Alfari and Perks are not able to relay that information based on their lanes, or they're expecting self-made and LeBron to run the shot calling and it's not happening. That's what it feels like to me. And I think if you don't, in the current meta, if you don't have a jungler or support who is basically pulling the strings in the early game and collecting the necessary information from the laner about wave states and matchups, you're going to fall behind. And if you By look the way, at... They're also a team that has zero connection between jungle and fucking and support. I mean, there's a like reason. That, there's there's there, no connection there at all. There's a reason <laughs> Korea won MVP of the LCK. Not only because he's a great he's individual player, but because he is constantly in the right place at the right time. It's clear yep. that he is the one leading the shot calling sure. of this roster. He is the one engaging for this team. He is bailing people out like a motherfucker. Like, if you think this T1 team would be good without Korea, like, he is fucking saving his dumbass teammates all the time. Like, Gumayushi looks a billion times better because Korea is on this roster. And it's not that Guma is a bad player, guys. It's that Guma is a young player and he positions questionably at times. And if, if you know, Korea is not there to just eat him up as not, or as Tom Kench, this looks like he, it would be very different. It would be very different. <laughs> like people underestimate how much Korea does. He is an extraordinary player at the moment and a huge part of T1 success. But it, it's very clear that the pressure happens around owner in Korea and them relaying that the information yeah. about where people can be at certain points in the game and where they are at certain points in the game in terms of macro. And it's just a hot mess from Vitality outside of that fifth game. I was actually really encouraged to see that fifth game because it felt like they actually finally had good comms and a good read on the situation and were able to snowball it. You can, I mean, you can get away with more dumb game states, and you can get away with being dumber at the game if you literally also pick dumber, I guess. And uh, what I mean by that is that there is a mismatch between their their current ability and the champions that they pick. <laughs> they pick as if they knew how to snowball, but they don't. So why do you do that? Just pick. Like, I mean, the LS meme is quite alive in that regard. Like, I mean, I'm, I don't always agree with them on everything, but if you're just trying to be smart about the picks and you try to really find niches in which case. Uh, your outscaling mechanisms work and they are hidden quite frankly uh, and really hard, you can actually get away with being slightly dumb at the game, being good at team fighting. But that is also something that Vitality is not doing. And actually it's something that G2 is also not doing. It's kind of like G2 and Vitality have kind of similar issues in a way um, in terms of the macro scale, in terms of the teams. 
but maybe they go they go part individually how they go about things like junkers for example overhelping instead of like afk farming but they have both teams have a mismatch between how good they think they are at certain champions and how they how good they actually are and that execution really um seems to be an issue for both teams where i mean to now i guess at maybe advance if you guys want to do to g2 but it's like when i saw g2 i saw a team almost trying to catch their prior success within the series and it was really sad to see and what i mean by that is like <laughs> usually when you have like leeson like the the junkers leeson you have this guy who's oh quick hit level three level four uh war jump q um first blood second blood whatever it's like and he he snowballs out of control right or he makes a team snowball out of control he did he played the exact same way as he always did but the execution was just 10 times worse and uh, like his positioning was the same. He he tried to position in helping mechanisms around around uh, especially uh, caps. And every single time he tried to do anything that that would have resembled a kind of advantage, he was literally just off in the execution, and he was maybe even slightly off in the positioning. But his his mind was like in the 2019, but his body was like in 2022. So that was uh, one of the saddest things to see in a long while. Where I felt almost yeah, I felt sad watching watching actually. I felt really sad watching G2. Uh, against Fnatic. It was really sad. I know you guys felt, but that was my kind of my... my, my I've got a little segue, a little question for you. <laughs> I, right? I don't disagree. This is a, this is exactly where... It's funny, the timing on this is perfect because something like a week ago, I actually made this video. The video was called on my channel, Fine Isn't Good Enough. And it's exactly for this scenario. Because after that series, G2 against Fnatic, all I did is I tweeted one thing. I just said, what happened to Caps? And I had loads of people, like Gilius's reply basically was exactly what I was trying to address with this video because Gilius replied and said, played a good series today. So he was trying to sort of push back. But here's my problem. Yeah, you're right, Gilius. For you and your teams, that was good. <laughs> not that not was not fine. Oh my no, God. this is real. For him, that would be a good mid laner. That ain't good enough for Caps. That isn't good enough for G2. G2's a team that could have signed fucking Viper as their AD carry. They could have signed the best player in the world at AD carry. They, they could have signed, that means Trophy as mid laner. They could go for the best players in the world. If you have Caps, that's my point. If you're on a broken, and if you're on Gilius's team, you're a team that's borderline playoffs. So for you, LEC quality is what you're looking for. G2 is looking for the best player in Europe. They're looking for the best mid laner in Europe. They're looking for someone who in a series like this will just take over and win the game for you and have like a pop-off game that gets you to a game five where suddenly everything's possible. That wasn't what Caps did here. If you took the nameplate off, you wouldn't know this was Caps. Like he's a good player, yeah. He even had some all right games in this series. He wasn't bad, but he wasn't fucking caps, and that's my problem because well, G two has essentially built their squad a, around having another, gold caps. And you can yes, tell another capital letter. I think that's what he has to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get rid of get rid of the capital P. But Should I mean, you can tell you can tell that even G two doesn't have the confidence in him. Right? They're picking the Lissandra into into the LeBlanc matchup. He became They're the meme himself. Karma. He's back to Lissandra. He's Dude. literally become the meme. <laughs> He's back to Lissandra. He's back to Karma. Yeah. He's basically Faker from Worlds last year. Uh, when it comes to the way that you want to pick the counter pick or you want to pick that matchup so that you can have a utility or maybe a roam and you're playing a more utilitarian, utilitarian mid lane role. But there are certain caveats you have to hit. And yes, I think G2, they want to play through top lane. That's very clear. Broken Blade wants to be the carry. Broken Blade is capable of carrying. But the way that teams work in this meta, if you do that, right? If you are going to play this style, if you are going to Bjergsen it or to a degree Faker it right now, uh, even though Faker, I would say, plays more carry champs, right? You have to have two side lanes capable of carrying. 
You're, you're going to put yeah. that trust. Like, if we're being honest, G2, it's playoffs. Is Flacid the guy you want to carry your team instead of Caps? Is, is that realistic? Is that the right way to play this game right now? It's the right way to play the meta, okay? But is it the right way for G2 to win a playoff best of five? And the answer to that, I think, is no, it's not. And the, even the, in the game they won, it took incredible ints from Fnatic in order to pull that off. And, you know, Hill is saying sometimes has these games where he's just going to keep trying and making plays. And if you shut it down, uh, you know, it, it looks real bad. It looks real bad. <laughs> but also, game one of Fnatic, they played what is effectively... They played a T1 comp, basically. Like, this is a comp that T1 would play. Again, it has the hallmarks of, like, the poke from Jason LeBlanc. And then you got the hyper carry and the Zeri. And then you have the scaly... Or you have the resets coming in from the uh, the Viego, right? You have a level of engage with this composition, too, with Renata Glask. I'm not sure T1 would pick this because it is it is harder to engage uh, with this composition than many of their other comps. But regardless, like it was, it had the whiff of T1. It was executed very well by Fnatic, and G2 was really disappointing. Um, you can tell that they're trying to take flyers because they're playing Yone in the top lane, and even though that is a broken blade champ, not exactly, not exactly the most meta pick in the universe. Right? Pretty wild for a game one opening draft. Like that, unfortunately, Monty. When I see that draft there. That actually makes me think G2 knew they were the underdog and that they, they really do think Fnatic's way better than them. Why do you start with that draft for game one? I think you... I, I, look, if you're going to take risks, a lot of the time game one is the time to do that because you can just say, oh, it didn't work. Now we're going to go back to normal. And if it does work, then you introduce a lot of weird things into the draft from that point forward yeah. where they're like, oh, do we have to ban the Yone? Or like, now, it's in, now we lost to it. So I actually do think it's not terrible to do that kind of strategy. Uh, because you're also not giga tilting your players by putting them into like an O2 hole by doing that and like forcing them to reverse sweep. And then they feel bad because they, they took the risk with this champion. So I think game one's the time to do it if you're going to do it. Uh, I, I don't necessarily blame them, but also I think that it's clear that the team doesn't have confidence in caps from the way that they're drafting and the way that they're playing. And to me, that's the biggest disappointment coming into it's the question is also like, I mean, it, to to me, it's is Fnatic's playstyle also just really, really fucking good, and are they actually just ahead of the teams to that extent that it wouldn't have mattered whatever Caps pick? Because I do, I am almost inclined to believe that to a certain extent, because when I watched when I watched Fnatic, it seemed to me that they knew what G2 was doing, even like they were kind of like how SKT is ahead or T1 no, SKT, but T1 is ahead compared to other teams in the LCK. It felt the same way with Fnatic compared to G2. And I don't want to say like they're on the same level, but it's just like the comparable level to the other teams in the LFC seems to be that way, where it didn't actually matter what G2 was trying to do because it was already on the back foot. Uh, especially Junkers was Lee Sin, I suppose, and then Caps obviously in laning phase two, that you knew exactly what it was going to do. There was only a limited amount of range you could, like of actions you could take, and they were all covered. And that is something that I've, like, Usually you don't see this with caps, right? And that's kind of what you guys are alluding to, that his 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 play is kind of fading. But it's it's that that he, usually his all of his things weren't covered. So he had like one or two options he was trying to figure out and he was able to figure out, but there was nothing there. It, and I don't I don't even know if a champion would have fixed it. I think it is literally I don't know, it just yeah, it, it feels like it feels that he just gotten old. As dumb as it sounds, <laughs> he's just gotten old. And he, he plays old. 
he plays or he doesn't play like a young man and that all right, I mean, uh, you fight like a young man, Caps. <laughs> if I, if I, Look, if I think we're going to have a resurgence, right. you can too, Caps. Exactly. I believe in you. Victory has defeated you, whatever side. You're on Lissandra now, boy. All right. <laughs> but it, it, is, it is like the... Maybe maybe uh, this is just Caps's laundry cycle where he gets washed temporarily, but he comes out all shiny and new see, again. I mean, Faker's had several has had several trips to the laundry at this point in time, and he comes back. <laughs> Bro, if anything, it's fucking if anything I think, in this I think scenario, it's, uh, surely it's Caps that's Bruce Wayne because fucking humanoids being. He's like, we have we now have access to your old champion pool, Caps. We will make use of it. Thank you. Like fucking, you think this was you think it was Caps playing the humanoid side of these matchups? What LeBlanc every game? Yes, please. Yeah. Like, this will the the joke. Now is Caps really does play some like boomer fucking mage champion pool. Look at it. His go-to <laughs> picks for real are Oriana and Rise for fuck's sake. Like he, his idea of getting crazy is he picks karma. You know in the meta right now, if you've not seen Vethio, you can play fucking Akali, Zoe, Syndra, like fucking LeBlanc. You can just style on motherfuckers all day long. He's not even trying. <laughs> What is this shit? And you know what? Everyone who flamed me the last two years for liking Larson, it's just barring watching play Oriana. I'd rather watch fucking Larson play Oriana than Caps, mate. Larson's a fucking monster on Oriana. What are you talking about? Yeah. Larson's, Larson's fucking victor smashes games. He looks like a fucking one of the best players in the West on that shit. What's Caps amazing on? What's he sick on right now? Exactly. You're struggling to yeah, fucking. No, so I, I think I think you could also like evaluate mid laners right now. I think the ultimate test of mid laners in the current meta is the RE test, where either you are completely fucking useless on it because you're not going to build a lot of necessary damage on Ari. But if you watch Faker play our rookie play Ari right now, holy shit! I mean, I, I watched Faker's Ari in that Kwangdong series, and it was fucking incredible. I mean, Korea would basically just eat him on Tom Kedge, engage with him, and then he would just fly over a million walls and kill everybody and just get into the back line and fuck shit up. It was awesome to watch. Rookie has been incredible on, on Ari towards the end of the LPL se season. And then you see all these, all these people, you know, in LPL and LCK, but also in other regions, like try and pick up the Ari, and it's just the most boring shit you've ever seen, yeah. doing zero it damage. Control, control mage at that point. Like, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it does. It actually is. Oh, man. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so I, the RE test is really like the current test of mid laners, where it's either the most like pog champ or the most boring champ you've ever seen, uh, and it it all depends on how you play it and how your play your team plays around it and how you shouldn't die because then it ruins all your like dark seal stacks and then you turn into a useless piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> True though. Did, did we is there, is there any other other player or team that we didn't should talk today? Is there anything? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I think I think Fnatic. I think people are going to want to hear us say nice things about Fnatic, and I think they deserve them. I think that again, going back to the T1 comp, that's a tough to execute composition that they executed really well in yep. game number one, and that's an encouraging sign, I would say, for the West in general, because we talked earlier about how hard T1's comps are to play well with. Uh, and when they do play well with them, they seem oppressive, but people don't really understand that they're walking on the knife's edge there and that it could go badly at any point in time. And indeed, that's how T1 has lost games. It's not like they won every single game they played. They just won every best of three, because as long as you're consistently good with it, you can pull out in a series, right? Um, I think Humanoid certainly looks a lot better as the split has gone on, even though it looked rough. Resorc, the same thing. It's nice to see Wonder on champs like Camille that he has been historically very good on again. Uh, Upset and Hillisang have obviously been good the entire split and Hillisang, you know, probably 
in the MVP conversation, you'd have to imagine with, with VTO, um, probably not going to get it compared to VTO, but certainly probably the, you'd say the runner up potentially, um, in, yeah. in MVP contention for LEC. Uh, so it's great though. The next two matchups in their own totally different context are amazing because you have the two best teams, Fnatic versus Rogue. Spoiler, there's a million great narratives there. They're not only the two best teams from the whole split. They're also the teams where because they have Larson and Humanoid, they carry the same character of like one was supposed to be the choker, the other one was the champion. They even had the way over their careers have been back and forth the last few years. So there's a potentially the marquee match, and obviously we're expecting maybe the final preview because it's the upper bracket. And then in the lower bracket, G2 versus Vitality is not only another great matchup, Berks versus Caps, but it's also literally two teams that both look so fucking messy right now. And that one, the difference is, I expect Rogue versus Fnatic will actually tell me, is the LEC really good? If that's an epic yeah. series, awesome. The bottom series is just like, who wants to stay in the playoffs? It's going to be an absolute, like, that's going to be like fucking rats crawling across each other. They get onto a fucking ship that's sinking gradually, but they're going off a fucking another ship. Like, that's going to be a nightmare, that game. That's going to be one of the worst games of League of Legends ever played. Get ready. Get ready for an absolute fiesta in that one. I'm guaranteeing it right now. <laughs> Not least also because, by the way, I know this. When when former teammates like Perks and Caps play against each other, you just in way harder because you just want to kill that guy so much more <laughs> in the team fight. Everyone knows it. It's a real factor, isn't it? Like you just go that much harder. Like you extend even more for that motherfucker. Of course, of course. I mean, but just imagine you have that matchup again, like in twenty, like just compared to the potential twenty nineteen matchup that wow, you had, or twenty eighteen, I guess even like when they yes. actually faced against one another. And then you got robbed off two years of it because they played on the same team. And then he, the one guy went to NA, the other one stayed. And now you have this in depre like in a depressing kind of way. It's like the the mad world version of it. It's it's just I don't know. Like when I when I watch right, when I when I think about what? it, it's just it's just not good. It's just not good. Here's I, my I little mini rant. Actually, I actually want to see it. I don't want to see it. I've got I'm a mini rant for you. Because here's what you need to know, ladies and gentlemen, is there's a difference, right? between strategy and tactics. It's often actually a point lost on people. They think it's the same term. And in the modern day, sadly, colloquially, people do use the terms interchangeably. But in theory, the premise is supposed to be this. Strategy is more like the concept of macro. It's like the large overarching move, things you're doing to achieve a total goal. Like, for example, your strategy might be we play very quickly and like decisively. That's like our strategy. Tactics are the specific set players that you're using to implement your strategy into the game. Like, here's the cool thing about perks. Perk, everyone else who plays League of Legends plays this game now to try and win this game now to win the next. They, they all do it like dated. This guy, he sees the game. He really is playing chess. Think how next level this motherfucker is. So remember in 2018, he was in a, a tough spot, wasn't he? Because he was clearly the second best mid laner. But he yeah. was in an era where Fnatic had a slightly better team and they had caps and he was just not only the best, but he was like, everyone knows he was already pretty naturally good. He was just better than the whole region and he stood out. So if you're cap perks at that point in time, listen, it was great you have your four titles, but you're going to bleed titles for years now. Like this guy, unfortunately, as you get a way better team than him, he's going to take the titles and your four is suddenly going to be Four to one, four to two. And if it had kept going, remember it was four to two when Caps joined up with Perks. If it was four to two, you can see next couple of years, if Caps wins most of them, he'll be ahead of you. Perks is so next level. He also, he didn't know this part, I'm making this part up. But what people do in League of Legends, they can't account for role swaps. Because what we all do anyways, we give everyone the championship. So we say Mickey X has four championships. You know what I mean? Like we say that fucking like everyone has them all, right? So here's the genius. Because... 
what what Perks did is he essentially said this, Caps, why don't you come and win titles with me? Spoiler, when you're with me, you can never overtake me. So Caps came along. They won four titles together. Perks is so gangster, he not only persuaded his main rival, who was about to dominate him, to play for him, win him titles. He even, for one split, said, you know what? Actually, I'll take mid lane back. Fuck around at ADC. <laughs> Had that guy in Nightmare Prison playing a Feely Awesome fucking center while he was going, this is fucking sick. Now there's no one to challenge me. Really did just win. Remember, Smurfed on Nemesis, played both sides of the matchup, won another LEC. When you know what, actually... That's rude. I didn't invite you in my house. You can have mid lane back. They won another <laughs> split. They went to Worlds. at these top four. Then, when he left, right? This is genius. When he left, not only did Perk score and win an LEC title and come back, but now that he's come back, Caps has won nothing in the meantime and is semi-washed. Perks is a fucking genius. Now the title haul, if anyone's keeping track, is like fucking, isn't it something like, it's nine if you count LCS. Even if you already go LEC, it's eight LEC titles for Perks. And Caps is stuck on his six, isn't he? And at, that, at this point in time, it ain't, it's going to be hard to get two more with no one. So even though I'm, I'm obviously making this sound way better than it is like a movie. If you look in the longest term possible, <laughs> Perks is like 900 IQ compared to Europe. This guy's a fucking genius. He literally took like his own rival and made him win titles for him. Here we go. Here's here's the next one. Here's, the, here's the end of this story, by the way, yes. Thorin. This is where this is where G2 switches caps to AD carry, gets rid of Flacket, and signs VTO. Oh, that's the way around it for sure. Yeah. Oh, basically, basically, Caps needs to listen to this and go, "Oh," and then yeah, exactly. He does the same move, right? Come on, Vithio, you're coming with me. I'll listen. I've got a conversation. I need to tell you. Into the G two hot tub with you, Vithio. Exactly. Want to take a swim? You want to take a swim? <laughs> oh man. And nope. by the way, no one's even thought of this yet, Monty. Why am I the only one who sees shit on the horizon? No one's even thought through the real reason G2 versus Vitality is amazing. Because either Carlos or fucking Perks are going to go mental when they win that series. Just wait. Whichever one of the two wins it, they are going to go off on Twitter. Get ready for that fucking... The second that last game finishes, rush to your Twitter. Because either Perks is going to say some banger line like... You know, it's going to be some shit about like the off season when he was a Carlos or whatever. Or Carlos is going to have some angle back. So I can't wait for that. <laughs> Just the storyline so that one's fire. The actual upper bracket match is the better match. We should probably talk about that a bit. Rogue versus Fnatic. I think What's, a lot. What? I think a lot of people will side with Fnatic because the last time they in the best of one they won this, but that was also with Rogue giving humanoid twisted vape for no reason. And yeah. They, they kind of entered that game, both in draft and then into the game itself. So I wouldn't say that that's indicative of what's going to happen in a best of five. Um, I, I really like the way Rogue played in their semifinal. I like the way they played through top lane. I liked the fact that they were bringing back old comfort picks with like Odo Omne Rumble and like reviving the kind of Jarvan Rumble old hot pot combo that's been around for forever in League of Legends, but you know, pops up occasionally, but it was executed really well. I think Malrong was outstanding in this series. Uh, he just plays yeah. like, he just plays like a maniac. 
Uh, and... Remember, everyone said the whole split Monty. Well, he'll be figured out in the playoffs, of course. And people even said, and what about his champion pool? Spoiler, he's not even a fucking... He wasn't even playing Jarvan. He just played it like every game. And the joke is, this is why Malrang is going to be a problem if you're an LEC team. Because he doesn't actually play like he thinks he has his own role. He really thinks he just plays for the team all the time. So he doesn't give a fuck that Jarvan is a garbage champion. He just fucking <laughs> dies all game long. If you're, if you're one of the players, like this is why, by the way, I've actually reversed position and I'm all in on Rogue. I really think Rogue will do it. It's because what really? people for, are forgetting is they're taking all the past Rogue playoff runs, right? Dude, you couldn't get a more different player from Inspired than Malrang. He is the polar opposite of Malrang, of Inspired. And what I love is this, is in my opinion, that is actually the easiest style to make work when things go to shit. Because you just, it's the go button. You just press go button all the time. <laughs> Inspired's trying to walk the tightrope and perfectly path the whole game. The problem with that is you're getting those... You get, it's like the earlier discussion. You're getting fake leads, which are just CS and like half an item, but you're not actually like dominating the game. And if at any point you, you fall off the tightrope, you're done. Whereas you look at Marang's style, like he just puts it on his laners. He's like, I'm going to give you your ganks, whether I'm behind or not. And then you do what you do from there on. And so you see the games like, oh, do I make it up in kills? Larson has his fucking champion and you can't do anything. Like, I think it's going to be way harder than people think to stop this team. I do agree. I think Fnatic's the best squad, but I think, I think Rogue can do it, mate. I, get, I, I think Malrong is really hard to read because it feels like Malrong doesn't even know what Malrong's going to do going into a game. Like, he just plays like an insane person. Nobody, <laughs> nobody, he's, 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 nobody, I think he's really smart. I, I mean, okay, so how, how do I explain it? I think no, he, no, he, he is yeah. he is smart because he knows limits of his weird ass builds and like pathing oh, that yeah. no one else knows, right? Yeah, like, no, I don't know. He, he shows me shit. I'm like, <laughs> I didn't know that was possible. Like, I, I don't know if the pro players know that he was going to do that or that it was possible or the to expect him team. like engaging with chem tank and then like Zonia. Like, it's like, nobody expects that to fucking happen. But it, you know, in the NBA, they always say, dude, in the NBA that when people take a bad three point shot that the coach goes, no, no, no. Yeah, good. Good job. When when it goes in though, because when it goes in, you can't go bad shot. Like, it, was, it went in. <laughs> so the premise with Malrang is like, you just wait, you just wait with like, yeah, that was a good gag. Oh, <laughs> I wonder where that was going there. Fuck, that was getting that was getting hard. But yeah, that's it. No one knows. No one can predict what this guy's going to do early game. I mean, he he, he can't. Pretty... He clearly doesn't. You really think <laughs> he calculates it? No, I, I mean, I th I think this first four to five levels are actually very calculated. I think he okay. understands lane statuses very well. Like in a sense, like when lanes are pushing back, and he, he compared to most jungles, he actually analyzes which why I am always like a pre pretty great uh, uh, proponent of like really trying to figure out like how, how early games work, how teams are operating within the early game, which kind of like setups they have and whatever it is. Like he actually understands every setup that he has and he actually punishes like even the even minute like uh, um, problems within, within lane status, right? Like uh, how often uh, especially uh, Mr. Herod was was caught out in that series, like every single time he was out of position, he was dead by Marang, right? He was basically punished. His builds, however, quite frankly, are really troll. Like, there's no question about it. Like, to my <laughs> estimate, it's just like, okay, I play, I play, I play a decent amount of job. I'm not saying I'm on the same level, whatever. I played in the past. This champion is not. I mean, first strike is kind of okay if you go if you go tank because it amplifies the 10%, like it gives you 10% more damage, gives you a bit of gold, and conqueror doesn't really like. I mean, it skates okay, but you don't really get enough from the healing, right? If you don't have enough AD, because simply you're 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 Spets do not do enough damage, so that is okay. However, if you go if you go Zonyas on Jarvan with only one AP scaling in that build, you are trolling. 
that is it, it, what, what are you it, talking it, about it just gives you a chance to get your eq uptime back while you're in the middle of the fight <laughs> yeah yeah true i mean true true you could also just get more tanky like what what is what is Zonia's gold cost i i gotta, I gotta look this up i makes you mad now <laughs> zonia is 2600 2600 okay 2600 um and most of the tank arms are around 33 3200 so i guess you could get two yeah you could get like two giants belts plus another ruby plus some armor so that's kind of the equivalent of the gold value i think i would take i would take around 700 hp 800 hp over the zonias on a jarvan that doesn't have any ap scaling besides the e. i think i think i'm you good also buy GA, you, know? <laughs> you also just buy ga yeah could, but the the man i mean um, I watched his stream a bit because I was really interested in how he thinks about the map. Does he play differently in solo queue? Uh, he plays a bit more farm heavy. Like he ignores oh, okay. lanes a lot more. So it seems okay. to me like, I mean, maybe this is just like conjecture, whatever it is, but that he's really on queue with his teammates, that his teammates feed him the right amount of information. However, his mechanics actually are they're just crisp, right? He's, he's top tier mechanic, mechanically uh, in, in Europe. And the man knows how to make other people play better. I think that's that's his best oh, asset. Sure. And I think that is something that has gotten lost because of the idea that I mean, again, you know, like the the whole jungle has to farm and then get strong. The inspired kind of like playstyle that is something that works in some metas. It really doesn't work in a lot of metas. It's it's really rare that an AFK jungle style or a more like a completely farm heavy style works. It's it is is kind of year toss up, right? We had this in season five a bit. We had this season season ten a bit, and that's like that's that's a long time in between, right? So, uh, Marang style is just more universal, and it finally shows how good Oda Amne is, uh, because this guy like the the people always talk about Alfari that he's really good at laning. Obviously, Oda Amne not got the recognition, but it's the first time that I can actually see that Oda Amne. Well, if he has a jungler that actually plays around him, this guy is fucking good. And all those years, whenever he was on any top tier team. The only time that he had jungler that actually even played to him to to any significant degree was actually in in HK back in the days. Like Junkers was the only one that made use of it, and that was only rarely because Forgiven was like as soon as as soon as he saw Jungle Pathic topside, he's like, "What are you doing? What are you doing?" <laughs> that, that, that kind of reaction time uh, sure. coming in. That like I, I just I'm really surprised by him. I'm really impressed by him. I think I think he's he's really fucking good. But Myrang, underrated by. I suppose people that take take things maybe too seriously in terms of um, how efficient a jungler has to be, um, but he's over, uh, and he may be overrated by solo key players. I suppose if if, if that was a comparison where uh, his playstyle is sometimes a bit too stupid because he just, I mean, he could just be more efficient in his build. Like that's what it is. It's just it's just I don't know. Tank is 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 to my uh, also not really an item that I would defend to my death. It's it's okay on Jarvan. It's just. They're they're better champions to play with Chem Tank, and if you play Draven and you aim for the backline and you have like a significant threat, then you go Conqueror and you go Godrinka and then you go you can go GA second. That's fair. That's fair. You can do that. So you want to offer a prediction? Think, <laughs> I also think another reason Rogue match up against Fnatic well is because since they both actually for real have teams where all across the lanes they have good players. Good luck banning either of these teams out. You can't ban either out. All you do is create which play you want to destroy you. But what what are you taking? I assume you're taking Fnatic to win the series. Amazing. I uh, I'm gonna take Fnatic three two. I'm just gonna do it. 
Three, two. Who's the who's the player who carries then? I think it is going to be. I mean, it, it has. To be, I actually think that it's going to be going to be humanoid. I think that Lar- like Larson is is really really good, but I do believe that he has some issues when he actually gets threatened in lane properly. And I, I think that rarely happens because most people play standard and they give him like kind of the the, the static kind of like lane setups, right? The, the static lane setups where it's like. Well, you're going to push out, you're going to have a jungler join you, whatever it is, and then level four, crash back, uh, or wave, wave seven, whatever it is, and I'm going to get a recall and walk back to lane. Humanoid doesn't give these lane statuses to, to Larson. That's the way, that's very different to um, to most other mid laners. So he doesn't have the same freedom as he has against Caps. So I do think that, I think that, yeah, I think it's going to be humanoid. It has to be humanoid, honestly. Can't be anyone else. Who you take a Monty? I think, I think it's going to be Rogue. I think that G2, blue side is a pretty big advantage, I would say right now in the in the current state of things in draft. And I think that G2 really poorly utilized their, oh, their blue bad. side draft. Like they were banning TF on blue side. They were banning Zeri on blue side. Like I think they had some pretty clear holes in terms of their champion pool at the most competitive level. Um they also like kept Caitlyn bands up the whole series. Not a lot of other regions are even playing Caitlyn right now on this patch. Like it's pretty, it's falling through the holes pretty quickly because uh, it's very predictable in the laning phase. And if you don't get an early advantage, she's significantly more useless than a lot of other hyper carries in the late game. Um, and there are other champions that have greater survivability, like Zaya uh, in the late game too. If you're going to be pressing up or you know mf if you're playing a lane bully these champs are also better into a lot of the pick comps that are being used right now so i think that we are going to see a rogue win because i think they will they will utilize power picks on the blue side better and they'll be able to kind of pinch the pool and and play strategically better around fanatic here's my angle the area where i actually think people really haven't thought this one through is this I think there's actually a position where Rogue has an edge over Fnatic. It is jungle. They still have not got Razor oh, yeah, to the yeah, level true. he was la- last year. It's just he yeah. has it hasn't mattered. He's been better, the team though. is so strong overall and everything's starting to come online. So, for example, now Wonder has the odd game that's pretty good. Obviously, Humanoid leveled up loads and the bot lane was already really good. But I feel like Razok's sort of low-key being a lot of empty calories this split. And he's just sort of coasted on the fact that he almost hasn't been needed to do that much. So, and also, I don't think he got his champion pool together till the end of the split, personally. So, on the other hand, I think Malrang's, you've seen it, it's just worked all split long. So, here's the thing. I'll give it to Fnatic. They have some very good players. But I think across the map, I actually think the rogue players can match them. Even the whole Hillasang angle, like everyone, like as you see, he's an MVP candidate. Mate, Trimby's been very good this split. I don't know how he's going to do in the playoffs, obviously. I'll have to see. So, I'll take rogue as well. I'll take rogue to win 3-1. There you go. <laughs> I won't say last, like, carries the series. I think Humanoid's very the, good. I think rogue wins 3-1. There, there's also... Two two jokes here about the razor cake. First off, which is obviously that they could eat the razork cake in this game. There you go. The second one is that the the razor cake, the way it works, is by maximum edging, right? So Rogue needs to win this, so you get a a, a taste of the cake that doesn't have the razor in it, and then they lose the finals. That's the yes. ultimate razor cake yes. play. 
Yes. Well, I thought it was going to go a lot more darker than that. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, because we're saving that till the final. We're saving that till the final. Yes. All right. You, you, this is this is the, the lick of the icing before you actually get into the razors that are embedded deep within the cake. Amazing. And if anyone for some reason out there is a fan and they happen to notice from watching a lot of years of Summoning Insight that despite the fact I began the split agreeing Fnatic did have the best team on paper, somehow I've managed to end up against Fnatic towards the end of the split. Just one of those coincidences, you know. Funny how life works out, isn't it? You know, so all I'm going to say is yes, I'll take the boring mage mid lane player who's playing Victor and Oriana to, to beat your to beat your hyphy fucking roaming mid laner. Yeah, you know what? What what's that? Is it a ending in a Y? I think we'll stick to our old fucking predilections. Look up that word. All right, we'll do. Uh, I don't know what that means. <laughs> we'll do viewer <laughs> questions now to end the show. Yes, let's do it. Inside on Esports Discord, Grogcoin Channel. I think, I, I think Gilius, Gilius asked a question earlier. How good he. <laughs> <laughs> Not in the right channel, he didn't. It's all right, Gilius. You are always impressive in terms of your, your ability to, to carry teams late in the split. You've done great. I love watching you play. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> let's go. Another F1 question. Question for context for Thorin. Um, Okay. In the past, if you pass another driver okay. by, this is like a, a tournament like rules question. In the past, okay. if you pass another driver by leaving the racetrack or forcing another driver off of the racetrack, the stewards would tell you to give up the advantage you gained. So if you pass yes. someone by going off the track, you have to give up that spot and let yes. the driver pass you. Is basically so you can't do stuff like just go straight over when there's a corner. Yeah. You can't drive Cut in the middle of the course. Uh, starting this year, it is up to teams to determine when to give the advantage back, and the stewards will only step in later to retrospectively investigate and possibly penalize. This change is in part of an effort to reduce radio traffic between stewards and teams, a.k.a. team whining to refs. Uh, will this self-regulation among teams lead to positive or negative results? You should never let the teams decide this Seems change. obvious they'll just exploit it and never... Fuck, yeah, it seems obvious it'd make it worse, right? <laughs> it's if like... you don't know, from CSGO, we have this problem all the time, which is in CSGO, unfortunately, unlike Riot, because the game dev isn't involved, basically pro players, at least until a few years ago, could sort of bully admins and could kind of get their own way. And so famously in our game, anytime you let players decide... It just becomes a nightmare. Like you just have infighting. You have people always like, oh, it was unfair. No, it was unfair to us. Like that's why there's a reason you have refs. They're, it's their job to interpret the rules and apply them. And by the way, I'm sorry, it is your job just to accept the ruling. You can say it's shit if you don't like it, but you have to accept the ruling because that's essentially the whole point of having a ref in a sport. We're saying someone has to make a call in the moment. We can't just rewind time and replay the race. So in this particular case, you have to allow the ref to do it. It's a terrible idea to let teams have any fucking agency in this matter. You could literally, if you're having problems with it, just literally hire a ref whose only job is to, to make that decision when exactly. the team yeah. should give up the spot. Just hire that yes. guy. It's like the NFL. It's like, just hire the dude to sit in the fucking skybox and watch the replay and make the right call. We have the technology now. There's no excuse. Do you have F1 exactly. thoughts? Exactly. If, if, <laughs> if I, I mean, wanted I to waste, if I wanted to wait, listen, if I wanted to waste, if I wanted to watch a whole year of a sport and then waste three hours and at the last second have a ref fuck me over, I'd just watch the fucking Saints play in the NFL. <laughs> Anyone who's seen the last 10 years? Like RTA. <laughs> 
All right, what are some of the highlights and lowlights of Peanut's illustrious slash infamous playoff career? Well, a lot of the okay, all all the finals. <laughs> I mean, he did win a bunch of finals too. Like that couple, yeah, he won a couple. Yeah, he's he's won he's won a bunch of finals. It was mostly earlier in his career when he would like int. Although he did kind of int in the series versus Dom Juan, like that Nocturne game where he just gets killed randomly in the jungle because he's recalling on a ward was pretty terrible. Uh, I mean, I can tell you straight up that one of the reasons he was brought into Gen G is because he's the oldest player on the team and is expected to be like an in-game leader and shot caller, which... That's wild, by the way. That's really wild, thinking about it. <laughs> that he's the oldest player or that he would be shot calling? Both. 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 Yeah, I agree. Yeah, both. <laughs> it was funny because I was in Korea at the Gen G facility and like they were like, mm -hmm. he's the oldest player on the team now. And he's like, he's 26. I was like, oh my God, I was casting this guy when he was 17. Holy shit, I am old. <laughs> um, but... I I don't know, like still a chalker though, still a chalker at heart, still a chalker at heart. I yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. I, I, it, sometimes it feels like his team wins in spite of him playing worse in in high pressure situations. Yeah. Twenty seventeen. I, I think I think for me it's like twenty seventeen SKT. Not even playoff playoff regards, but just the way they performed at Worlds. I think that was like the yeah the most depressing thing I've ever seen. Quite frankly, like that was just not fun. Here's, not here's, fun the, here's the here's here's the truth. You, it is illegal to lose to Bengi Nidalee first time. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, that's illegal. That's not existing. Yeah, that was. Oh my god. The problem is, though, I have to say, Pino is the player who, was, in, in my opinion, he is the ultimate League of Legends player that shows you what pressure does. Because if there was no pressure, this guy's fucking amazing at League of Legends. It's no wonder he's in all these teams and he's actually had, like you talk about now, incredible longevity. Think about how Dude, this guy's been the MVP. It was like last year. And think about how many teams he's been in now. He must have been in, what, four or five teams that have had a crack at Worlds, LCK. Just unfortunately, for some reason, when you put him in the biggest pressure moments... Some some of the amazing shit he does just doesn't work out. He just doesn't have the same same philosophy for the game. Suddenly, maybe he just has to drink drink a bit before the game. You know, it's to ease the nerves. Dutch <laughs> <laughs> courage. There you go. <laughs> Take a shot you of soju. <laughs> Uh, let's move on. The CSGO community seems to be much more conscious of the role of observer than in league. I feel that job. I feel that outside of the LCS, they generally do a fine job. Why is the LCS behind on this front? I don't know because I'm, this is one area I'd be interested to get Monty's take because I've never worked on an actual live League of Legends broadcast of commentary. So I'm not sure what the protocols are here, but I agree. There's a lot of times I feel like in LCS, like they're watching, like, yes, some people are having a fight in the bot lane, but on the mini map, I can just see like they fucking, they, someone's going to die in top lane and they never seem to catch it. Like they always seem to have things that are just off in that way. So what I wonder is this, this is why I want to ask Monty, is I sometimes wonder if in LCS particularly, they're told sort of stick with whatever the cast is talking about because i know like in csgo for example sometimes essentially we let the observer lead the cast as in if he he's the one looking for what the next big moment is and he'll switch to that and then the cast is just sort of like seamlessly integrate whatever he was saying as the next focal point so i wondered in league because i i always got the vibe if you watch lck like the observer just goes to where the action is and the cast is follow him but i don't know what they do in in the setup of lcs in that regard i think there are different observing philosophies in league of legends so when i worked for ogn um the observers were famous for like using their cursor to like circle items that were just bought and like trying yes. to call attention to things whereas when i worked with riot it was all about let's have the smooth camera movement and not have the cursor there and like you know showing things that are happening because they you know and there are pros to that by the way like the caster should recognize these things and it can't be distracting to a caster or like derail the story the caster is trying cool. to tell to have the observer like fucking with you like that um 
but also at times it can be helpful to direct the conversation. So I don't think it's like right or wrong. It was just a very different style of doing things. Um, I think most of the, the, the observing has kind of evened out across the world, but I still think that when I watch Korea is the best still whenever well, I watch LPL too. Like yeah. what, what LCK does super well is that the, the replays will actually not show the whole replay. Like they'll quickly cut between an important part, skip over the dumb middle section and then go yes. immediately to the, the next important part. So they're very good at like summarizing action within, within the LCK I've noticed uh, when I've been watching those games this year uh, and LCS, like it does feel like, so here's the thing about observing guys. If you, you, it requires a lot of knowledge to be a good observer, to know where the action's going to happen. And the thing about good games is that they're, in many ways, they are more predictable because players are doing the right thing. In LCS, okay, dumb shit can happen for no reason that is completely unpredictable that a good observer would not necessarily catch, okay? So it is kind of a question sometimes about whether the observers are bad or whether the players are bad. I mean, they, they kept out the, um, the Dignitas Renegade thing where... Uh, <laughs> that was really good well. actually. <laughs> 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 Even though they were like, no kills for the whole game or whatever. Yeah. No, 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 no. It was what? when they were like, inting at Tower and Herald simultaneously. <laughs> oh, yeah. right. Yes, that, they did actually do a very good job, unfortunately, <laughs> of catching all of that. <laughs> unfortunately for me. Uh, but yes, that's true. Was that, that, was that, true. Then? Was <laughs> that was truly awful. <laughs> and they did a good job of observing it. Uh, but uh, yeah, they... Sometimes like random shit can happen that shouldn't necessarily happen and you can have more observers or somebody who's like calling that out. Um, sometimes it can be on the game director who's like, you know, you have multiple observers and knowing where to go, uh, like which feed to go to can be part of it as well. Uh, but, you know, I'm not actually too bothered by that in League of Legends because you you can always just put a replay on. There's enough downtime that you never you know, it's rare that you actually feel like you missed something. So it's not, I don't really have an issue with, with league observing. I think in CS, the other thing is that, you know, frankly, I, I suspect that another reason why we don't necessarily, you guys don't know who the observers are is because in CS, the tournament operators fight over good observers because it makes a massive difference in the game. And the observers are like Twitter personalities themselves. Like look at people like Prius and Sapphire in, in CSGO. These are in-demand observers because they're really good at their craft. And the fans know when they're on a tournament and they have a, a public personality, which drives their value up between because they get better rates as they as organizers compete for their services. Riot doesn't want that to happen, guys. They don't want to pay the observer. That's why that's why they, they won't promote the observers, you know. So. Yeah, that, that that sounds reasonable. They don't ever want to platform you or anybody. Uh, because it makes makes your negotiating power higher. Uh, I've heard I've rarely heard anyone in the esports industry address the issue of back pain due to the predominantly sedentary lifestyle. This is not a widespread problem for caster players, casters, and analysts alike. Um, casters, I prefer standing when I cast. Number one, uh, I think a lot of casters prefer standing. Uh, and having standing setups. Whenever I cast right international events, it was standing setups. I actually didn't like sitting down at OGN. It was really irritating. Because um, even if you're standing up for a best of five, it's still only like five hours and you can sit during the breaks and, and kind of catch up. But it feels a lot better to stand when casting um, for the most part. 
I, I don't know from the the player side amazing um i mean it has kind of been um i guess addressed by having more physical therapy and um sports hikes but yeah there there is a there is a quite i mean f- at least for me i noticed this when i stopped playing uh, for a bit um that my posture became so much better like over over a very short period of time to actually just uh, renegotiate, I guess, my body to a certain extent because I felt my my shoulders weren't looking forward, my lower back was weak, and that's kind of the, like the the issues that a lot of players have, which is why uh, there has been such an onus on on the um, sports sports therapy uh, happening with esports. But a lot of players still don't take it seriously enough, and most of them still have bad posture. They actually have bad backs. They actually talk about it. Same for bad wrists because they they uh, use. I mean, they actually, it's, it's mostly when you use other things other than your mouse and you kind of get used to other motions. But it's also simply if they, they have too low DPM or too high DPM, that it kind of doesn't, doesn't really, makes it, makes it almost like a, a wrist flick instead of a arm flick, you know? That's, that's the main issue I see with a lot of people. So nice. uh, sedentary lifestyle and like just choice they make. And then diets are also terrible, so that doesn't help the inflammation too, you know? Um, and then long hours, high stress, some probably psychosomatic at this point. It's not just it's not just actual like mechanical difficulties, but also probably some psychological factors too playing into it. So to be yeah, fair though, how how much of that is just like being older, and how much is not being in TSM anymore? Like I imagine you leave TSM, suddenly you can stand up straight again, put your shoulders out, <laughs> you can look yourself in the mirror again, you don't feel like a sellout bitch, you know, like oh so you're walking around, the sun's out, you know, more doors way back in the back over there, fucking you know the fresh air. Beautiful, no bullshit in the air. Open communication with animals and creatures and other entities in the world. You're not against everyone all the time. Okay, you know, you know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> just a, just a, just a... <laughs> he's got his jacket. Where is it? Where is it? Oh my god, is that is that TSM's music? What the hell? What is this? He's got it. He's got it on his. I assumed from the question, by the way, that was about like when are we finally going to address in esports the issue of back pain? I assumed it was going to be like a really clever question back back door and it's way into some sort of a frogging analogy you know like yeah after about nine years carrying some motherfucker on your back it does get a bit tiresome playing that victor matchup doesn't it also yeah i agree i i i love reggie okay i i like him it's hard to defend now because of the ongoing investigation it's okay. uh, but the man the man has done a lot for me like Great. i think I, i'm i'm happy that he, i've met him let's put it this way exactly. it's it's it impossible to be all evil, evil. Yeah, I mean, there's, there, there, there's, there's, there's some, there's some balance. I mean, I, I kind of, I, I mean, we talked about this um, before we got on the show, right? Like we talked about this bit that, like, I, I kind of wish Reggie was, I guess, to the public more likable in a way that he was actually engaging with it better. I think that's what it is. If he actually had more talk shows that he was on, he was actually talking to more, di- I guess, div- diverse crowd instead of just having his. Um, I guess YouTube videos from 2013 circulating, there'd be a lot more differential opinions on him, you know, like uh, oh. we, we we had this I hated Thorin, I hated Monte simply because of my purview, uh, my, my view from TSM, that I was kind of like We did um, also talk a lot of shit, there was that as well That's why we don't deserve it Yes, you deserved it, I deserved it like whatever okay. it is, you know, but yeah. uh, point, being, point being the man the man, I, I I mean, I, I don't know what he did after me, and I, I don't claim to know. Like, that's what it is. Um, but the man the man really, I suppose he deserves a another shot at, like, addressing the public. I think that's what it is, in a fair way. I think the public should also address him in a fair way. Of course. What, but that is that is all you can ask for at this point. Um, 
you know, but keep the memes up. I, I'm not offended by him. I'm okay. Look, so. look, man, like he's, he's, he's only hurting himself a lot of the time. Right. Or he's, he's trusting people who make him look bad. Right. I also, by the way, let's be real. He's not actually evil. Like, no. I actually thought Richard made a very good point about this. When the first things came out a few months ago about, like, oh, he's abusive, Richard even made a good point, which I agree with, which is, even though when you say abusive there, you mean metaphorically, unfortunately, if you say abusive, people are going to start thinking, like, oh, my God, was he, like, sexually abusive at law? That's exactly what you don't want to... Like, the point here is, basically, you might think he's an asshole. That's it. He's just a bit of an asshole. He's not really like evil. Put it this way: there's a bazillion owners and people even in LCS that have done way worse fucking shit yes. than that. Come on, man! Like he's just an asshole. That's the problem. And his problem is, like, here's another factor everyone's not factoring in, right? If they were in their prime right now, winning all the championships, these wouldn't be. No one's saying anything. Yeah. yeah, it's the fact that it's it's simultaneous with Bjergsen left and Lena left, and then the results are the worst. It's like this is the perfect shitstorm for this guy, unfortunately. You know. No, but, but, yeah, but he also doesn't do himself any favors. I agree. He could put himself out there more. For sure. he, I, I, I don't think, think he can think, right now. Like I, I think unfortunately, well, before the investigation, you right. know, in the His past years, he, he could have he could have built up a big bank of goodwill in years when he was more liked if he'd have been a bit more out there on the media circuit. I agree. You know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's what he could have done. Like, I mean, I, I can I can say as much. Like when I was on the team, he really tried to make it a fa like a family maybe it was maybe we weren't the best family i suppose but it was yeah yeah it was a bit more like craster in game of thrones look. north of the wall yeah, <laughs> no, no. look look amazing all you're gonna say all i'm gonna say is cult leader that's, the reference right that's, that's a hell of a reference <laughs> <laughs> and you take out little baby santorin yeah oh, i'm just gonna just gonna get rid of him there you go bloody hell but but you know cult leaders also try and make things like you know come on no 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 charles no. manson had a family i'm just saying like there's okay Amazing. There yeah. is called his family. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there are other historical figures that also had families. No, no, you know, no. Like... What I'm saying, amazing, is that it is a technique that is used intentionally yeah, yeah. to I, I create a I'm, cult uh, environment. Yeah, I did not suffer from. I am. I'm still not suffering from a Stockholm syndrome. I'm okay. You know, don't <laughs> okay, worry good. About it. I'm glad you're okay. <laughs> uh, this this segues to the next question. We already talked about this. What are the worst possible outcomes for Reginald slash TSM investigation? So. If it's just him being mean to people, probably nothing happens. Like it's not, it's not, it's just being a jerk, right? That's yes. not, it's his company. He can be a jerk if he wants to. He can ruin his company from the inside by making people, <laughs> good people afraid to work with him and like take responsibility because then he blasts them for it. But you know, that's, that's just going to become a self-fulfilling prophecy of TSM slowly just sinking below the waves because they can't retain the talent or people that they need in order to be successful. Um, now, if there is something else that's revealed through this, and this would be, to be very clear, I don't know of any incidents no, of no, anything more severe than more this. Precedent. No, exactly, yeah. I don't know of anything. So what my anticipation is that nothing happens. But if the investigation does reveal something more serious, and that could yeah. be literally anything, and I, again, yeah. I've never heard of Reggie sexually harassing people or physically uh, hurting people. I've never heard of any of that. Um, then, but if something like that is revealed, that I think would be more serious. Yeah, I didn't have any punching. I mean, I didn't have any many fights no, with him, you know, like didn't this. Yeah, I, I never heard of that. So I, I'm not anticipating that to be a result, but I think that's the only way that something actually serious happens. Have you guys seen the Batman? If so, what did you think of it? Nope. I'm seen nope. it. <laughs> well, rip. I'm bored of superhero movies, so probably. Here's yeah. the thing. <laughs> Why is it the oh, I... it's like the fifth reboot of the fucking yeah, so oh, like 
I don't want to see it anyway. <laughs> the problem I have is this, like based on some of the people who've said it was good, like there are some people I trust said it was like worth watching. It's good. My problem is this. I had to go through this like, it's going to sound boomer like 15 years ago when Batman Begins came out you all did this you all went oh my god it's incredible and I went oh wow really I'm, I, I usually like comics I might watch it what's so good and they were like you don't understand Thorin it's a really gritty modern day take on Batman where it's like in the real world it's like so you just never read the comics from the 80s then that was literally in <laughs> 1980s was when the, Frank Miller did The Dark Knight Returns which is what all this shit is based off so as far as I can tell the vibe I've got from people's initial comments is it sounds like this is more like another Frank Miller one Batman Year One where basically he did an incredibly gritty like alternate world take on what Batman's origin was like and in this world it's like it's a very very dark universe where essentially he's like very violent and kills people but the idea is they're such criminals you know he's been pushed to a position of nihilism it sounds like it's in this vein so I'll give it a go at some point in time but like like I say unfortunately for me I feel like other people there's something more novel about it than it is to me like that's (laughs) Batman's been like that for 40 plus years now guys and also like the way people sold it to me it was like oh yeah it's a it's a film noir take on Batman Batman. And my response to that is, as somebody who really enjoys film noir, I have a million other film noir movies that I could watch that are good and almost certainly better because they don't contain superheroes, which is kind of antithetical to film noir in the first place. And even if I wanted a modern take on film noir, I have Nightmare Alley that was released directed by Guillermo del Toro this last year. I've got LA Confidential, which is like a modern noir. So I I really feel like I could do... I would prefer to watch original, more original, non-derivative film noirs, or I could just go back to any of the number of excellent dozens of great film noir movies released over the last, what, 80 years? (laughs) And be perfectly satisfied. I'll probably, I I may watch it if my wife is like, let's watch it on a streaming service in the future, but I'm pretty much done with superhero movies unless my wife is like, I want to watch it, and then I will begrudgingly agree. Uh, is there a way to make a deal with the devil 10 cents so we can fuck over Riot and get more international competition with good formats? As far as I can tell, 10 cent only cares about what's going on in China, unfortunately. Yeah. But how much impact does do they have on, on the international competition? How much impact does Riot, the, the international headquarters, have on it? Like, is it, you know? Uh, well, look, all I can say is 10 cent could take that over at any point in time that they want to take it over. So the real yeah, the don't. real question is they don't do it. Now will they do it in the future is is the only the only question. Mm. Uh it's never it's never gonna happen unless Tencent decides to organize the the Super League concept where you have consistent international competition, which it that could happen if viewership in the game and interest in the esport would require a consolidation down the years to maintain an acceptable level. But as long as things are going well in the regions, especially in China, locally, I don't see them making that change. Here's the bad news if you're a fan from the West. You've made the classic mistake that annoys European fans when NA people do it all the time. You think we're all obsessed with LCS being really good. We're not. Those of us who aren't from America don't give a fuck. I don't like, even, I'm I only from do, America. I don't care. <laughs> I only do in the context of if I apply my mind to it and think, how could it get better? Like as a hypothetical, I don't really care if TSM's ever good. Like Europe's good. China's amazing. Korea's amazing. Right now, think if you were like Tencent from LPL or LCK, what you would do is this. You would look at your scenes and go, LPL's incredible. What an amazing scene China has. Wow. LCK is great. What an amazing scene Korea has. And then every now and then we have a couple of international competitions where we let some worse teams into play. 
Why would I be going out my way to try and make more of those? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've already got mine nailed. If I'm in China or Korea, we've got the perfect system. The problem for you in the West is your domestic leagues aren't that good, usually, and then your whole hopes are pinned on the international tournament. It ain't the same for the others. Like, it's true <laughs> well, they want to win them, but, like, I don't think... Like, I think they think their structure domestically is perfectly fine and they don't need more. Major, got all the league Major League Baseball is not overly concerned when they play an international tournament like the Olympics that, like oh man, we really need to prop up Team Korea here and their KBO team that's going to play Team USA in the Olympics or whatever, right? Like NHL isn't worried about what, you know, a minor, like the French hockey team is going to do compared to Canada and the USA at the Olympics. It's not a concern. Like you have you have a healthy league in LPL. It's been the best league in the world for the last number of years lck is a close second you have these big scenes that have significantly more viewership and what lcs is is it's like the the korean baseball league kbo compared to mlb mlb doesn't give a shit about kbo is it i mean i mean yes in terms I, of viewership I mean, you used in an extreme I, yeah example. but yeah but I, i'm thinking more about like i i, I can't imagine that that Chinese League of Legends fans and Korean League of Legends fans do not enjoy like Europeans being beaten. You know, like it's I, 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 like just like the same we, way that at the Olympics you enjoy a powerhouse team just be you know that's from your region beating down on other teams. I mean, some. I mean, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's the same. I mean, I know what you mean, but like there is more ego involved, I think, with with fans of League of Legends than there is with the Olympics. Like, of, of course, when I watch the Olympics, I'm not like. Well, Germany, I mean, or I guess because I actually follow more U.S. sports. Oh, the U.S. is playing, uh, I don't know, Nigeria and basketball or whatever it is. It's not like I'm enjoying this 100 to 20 slaughter within the first half. But it's, I think it's it's a bit more like the U.S. playing, I guess, Germany or I guess Argentina or something like that, you know, in terms of the relative, relative scale. There is yeah. enjoyment in there, but it like they, they do have functional systems to the point that International competition is partially obsolete for them. Yeah, that I agree with. I think it is obsolete. It's more because... of a novelty, you know. It's like a, it's just yeah. fun for the fact that, as you say, you don't get to play against those people. Like in the, the, your analogy oh. is the best one because even though if people don't know, just like Worlds, actually, it's not a bad analogy. Like Spain or Argentina can, and in fact, have beaten the USA previously. It's not like it's impossible for the big regions to. But here's the difference: which would you rather watch? Uh, an Olympic match, which they don't, they just play best of one. But let's say, imagine they had a series or the NBA finals. It's hands down the NBA <laughs> yeah, finals, exactly. isn't it? Like, you do basketball, <laughs> man. You know? It's just, well, just reality, isn't it? Our, our regional leagues, I mean, not our regional leagues, but like, I, I, as you said, like, I think our, um, our like, and the LEC as well as the LCS, like, they're, they're, the novelty has actually worn off in terms of like, we don't find it as exciting as I believe the Koreans find the LCK or no, uh, the Chinese, so. Chinese fans find find the the LPL, like I think there is a, there is a vast difference in terms of like fan activity. We, we've gotten tired of of our shit basically. We just want to see more. I think that's the fans' perspective at this point. And so, but yeah, like I don't think, as you said, yeah, Tencent. If they don't care, they don't care. That's what it is. Yep. Uh, I've recently rediscovered the gem that is Breaking Point. What other team in LOL history would you like to have had such an in-depth documentary about? I'll go with oh. TSM's 2014 season with Amazing. I would actually have loved to have seen the inside of oh that my God. team. <laughs> I mean, you, you, no, you would have liked it. I, I think you would have. Um, I think psychologists would have liked it too, not because <laughs> of the of the of the uh, relationship we had um, 
like I guess with our coaches, but whether in the team was really interesting at certain times before Last Boy came in, especially. Yep. I think that was. Yep. Like, I, I, um... Give me the Glebe shit, man. Give me the Glebe <laughs> shit. Give me the loco coaching. Also, just just in general, like if we had footage uh, of all of Loco's like teams that he coached, that would be incredible. I would watch the Loco documentary thousand percent. That would. For me, there's an easy answer to this. What's funny is. It's going to be a team from season nine. So I've already tricked all of you because you're all going to go G2, right? No, because what was brilliant about G2, you saw on the server, all you would see on their documentary is a bunch of like wacky, fun things and people doing jokes to shit. The team that you want to see a documentary from, I tell you right now, and I will make it, maybe not as a documentary, I might have to do it as a written article or something like that. One day... When Youngbok retires, we're go- I'm telling you right now, we're going to make a fucking documentary about season nine Fnatic. The one where they'd lost caps to G2 and they brought in Nemesis. And if you remember, they started like, what was it, like two and seven or something mental in LEC. Oh, yeah. And they turned it around and they made it. That, that wasn't the split they made the finals. It was the summer they made it to the finals. They were like, it became a good team by Worlds. Right, basically, the things I know from inside that team of what Youngbok had to do to like band-aid shit, to like make players that had no ability to play with each other functional, to make champion pools so that people could actually pick from like three options that made them able to play in a comp like if you could just see what they did behind the scenes to turn this team around it'd be mega it would be like breaking point with a, with like a vaguely happy ending obviously they don't win the championship but they made it like your know, top eight worlds they were in the finals it would be so fucking good I'm telling you I'm... and it has all the cast in it it has little shitter fucking stubborn bastard nemesis it has fucking reckless <laughs> with it, in all his princess and the pea glory sat up there I feel it's like disturbance in the force Bro- get him out the room get him out the room like it has fucking Hillersang just inting his way to victory permanently it has Broxer just looking around going golly get a bit nervous in here it has it has Whipple oh, shit mate it would be one of the best documentaries ever, I'm telling you right now. I'm telling you right now. I, think, I think some other good ones would be the Cloud9 uh, season when Sneaky and Jensen got benched. Uh, oh, yeah. That would probably <laughs> yeah. be incredible. Uh-huh. Uh, another incredible one would be the Rocks Tigers in 2015 when they were, like, too poor to afford air conditioning because the entire, like, LCK fell apart and all the players went to China. And they were on this team that had no fucking money whatsoever. So that would probably be a super interesting one, especially with how well sure. they were doing that year. Yeah, some good one. Yeah, or, or any of the really old ones, the really, really old ones, like something like. Uh, I I would have liked to be in the final one in the in the CLGU team. I think that would have been fun, like the 2012 one with Crepo, <laughs> Ye- Yellowpede, Wicked, Froggen. Yeah. Like those arguments, and especially Snoopy. Like I, I I can only imagine. I can only imagine because you, you hear Frog talk, you hear Crepo talk, like. That must have been this insane room to be in. You know, every single, every single day, every single day, everyone thrown out the ideas, being completely insane, whatever it is, and then yeah, it working out somehow. So, I, if I get true unrestricted access, Monty, I'll tell you right now, the team I'm making a documentary. I'm going back in time, and we're going back to 2013, 2014, amazing, and we're just following around the Swaz and Expecte fanatic. Because I'll tell you what, the behind the scenes footage. It's going to be fucking off the chain. First oh, of all, y'all don't even know the famous people that they were getting came with mixed <laughs> up with. And they were they were party. Oh, I'm going to use all the euphemisms because these were wild boys. I always <laughs> say back then, right? I don't know if they were the best because like, if people know, they sort of like mailed in the regular splits, but they would always get their shit together in the playoffs. So I would just describe them the way people always describe Shaquille O'Neal. Because if people don't know, Shaq actually had like a fairly bad work ethic and could have been a way greater player. Like he's already maybe a top 10 player ever, but he could have been like, 
like contender for best player ever if he had like a killer work ethic. Their team is the same way, but here's the way you describe it though. Just like Shaq, I bet there's nobody had more fun relative to how much success they also had than Xpeki and so on. It's like <laughs> these boys were not only winning, yep. they were fucking living. They were not only yeah, listen, they didn't they were they were winning the domestic title, they were always competing nationally, and they were doing it their own way. This wasn't back when you had the coaches doing anything. They just ran their team and it was fucking glorious. <laughs> in sort of a rock and roll way. They were like the Rolling Stones essentially. <laughs> Where it is essentially like, how is Xpeki, in this case Keith Richards, how is he still alive? Shouldn't the drugs have killed him by now, for God's sake. You know, what I mean, saw that vibe. Uh, all right, what, <laughs> what do you think? You, you were there, amazing. You could corroborate. This would be a fucking sick documentary, right? Maybe <laughs> those those <laughs> stories are t- for her ten years from now. Then all those exactly. stories will come exactly. Out. Yes, all these Waiting, stories are years down the line. Of course. <laughs> yeah, they 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 haven't uh, passed into the public domain yet, but they will. They will. Uh, I'm low-key hyped, is the last question, about T1 this year, but I'm tempering those expectations as I've heard your discussion on the relative weak state of the LCK teams right now. What do you think the biggest trap other analyst casters' personalities are falling into when they start hyping up T1 for MSI and Worlds this year? Um, is it only in regards to LPL at this point that they could fall flat? You would think Wait, that would be the case, yeah. yeah. I, I, we've talked about you know, potential meta shifts. Like they, they play this style that is really good and they execute on very well. Now we assume they can adapt to the meta. I think that's a reasonable assumption considering all these players were also on the team in a very different meta last year, but you never know. You never know. Um, I think their macro sense is really good. I, I think that some of the positioning of players like Gumiyushi can be punished against very good teams. Uh, and Korea may not be able to bail him out against super good teams that's reasonable but um i mean the only only other angle i could see is maybe i guess how quick some of the lpl teams play maybe that's what it is that could be their downfall that they may not get into the rhythms that they want to get into in order to win because they usually do actually win the early games it's not like they're they're somehow magically always in control and um uh, farm up and then they win. It's simply that they actually make the first play more often than not. And I think that's something LPL teams are really, really good at in comparison to most other teams in the world. That proactiveness that's going to potentially be something that's going to break T1's spirit before they can actually develop it in a game. But I don't know. Like, that's the only thing I can see. While I understand we can only talk about this now, as someone who has seen lots of years of esports, it doesn't matter League of Legends, any esport, the team that's the best in fucking March is very rarely the best in October when you have Worlds. So all I'll say is, like, just history suggests, yeah, there'll be plenty of people to challenge them. Maybe even from in Korea, who the fuck knows? A split can do a lot to a team. <laughs> also, you have to acknowledge that the top lane pool hasn't been the best, as we discussed earlier, particularly against other top teams. Like, you would argue that while Zeus has been good... There's either been a team gap between T1 and the enemy team when there's been a good top laner like Keen or Rascal, or there's been a top gap when the rest of the enemy team is good because we wouldn't say that, you know, Doran or Birdall are like world beating top laners and the top lane pool is much more competitive than LPL overall. So even though Zayas has been good, he has been a big fish in a small pond and that m- may be exploitable against top LPL team. Do we know, or do you know how much um, SK is scrimming LPL teams at this point in time? Is there still a lot of interaction or is there not? 
Um, I could probably sure. find out, but I don't know right now. Okay. They probably do script. I mean, there is a pretty healthy amount, at least in the past, has been a pretty healthy amount of crossover between teams scrimming each other. And my guess is that especially as playoffs go on, the, they will scrim each other more because they don't have to. Sense. They don't have to play against each other uh, yes. in the finals, right? So I, by the time we get to the finals, which we are in LCK right now, I would imagine this week is probably both Genji and T1 scrimming exclusively against Taiwanese or Chinese teams, or their right. B teams. So, uh, yeah. All right, that was the last question, guys. We're gonna end the show uh oh my god right now goodbye